You're no messiah. You're a movie of the week. You're a fucking podcast at best. Very good. Thank you. Do you have more? I don't know. I figured you might have more here. What's in the pod? Yeah. Say, say, wait, I thought all you did was uh, kill innocent podcasts, David. Wait, I thought all you did was kill innocent podcasts. Innocent. Is that supposed to be funny? I really thought I I was going to guess this one. Oh, oh I had really? Lo- okay. I, I locked and loaded. I thought you were going to do the final line of the movie. Ernest Hemingway once wrote, the world is a fine podcast and worth fighting for. I agree with the second part. That's <laughs> fucking good, Wikes. <laughs> or the podcast is a fine place and worth fighting for. I don't know a lot of ways to play it. Worth podcasting. You know what that is right now, Weiger? Yeah. That's the juice of a man who, out of solidarity with the Writers Guild strike, has not been writing intros for his own podcast for mm, several months. That's true. You have excess energy. I feel depleted. <laughs> what, and why, why are you depleted? I just finished uh, d- doing too many shows at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. My brain is a uh, trash. Too many. Too many. Can I say it officially? Too many shows. Too many wow. shows. Too many shows. Yeah, you're Josh Hartnett at the end of 30 days and 30 nights. <laughs> My, Mitch, he went 40 days. And we were it's, talking is it 40 Hartnett. days. Mitch, we were talking Hartnett this for like wild. 10 minutes this is before insane. you showed up. Mitch was so Mitch was understandably late. No one's mad at him. He's, no, he's dealing with some intestinal distress. It happens to everyone. <laughs> I, no, I want to say, actually, did you not want you me to say what? that? No, 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 it's, it's, no, it's fine. Don't speak for me when you say understandable. If there's anything I'm not sympathetic to, it's people being late, not communicating why they're late <laughs> because of some of <laughs> these are things I have no experience with and I detest in other people. Go on. Uh, but we were before you arrived, we were talking. We had an extended conversation about Josh Hartnett. And and specifically cited 40 Days and 40 Nights as maybe like, is that his big movie? Is that what yeah, he's known right. for? Like, was what, that his peak? Is Mitch, that a depressing What do you think peak? Hartnett's Defining, signature film is? Yeah, signature film is the term. Hmm, the Faculty? Is he in that? Oh, fuck, that's the answer. Is it though? Oh, yes, wow. that's the answer. But that's, that's wild. That's one of yes. his first things. But it is. That's what... That's what he was cashing checks on. Yeah. This is why we need you here. This is why we couldn't do this episode. Yeah, this yeah. Arrive. Episode. No, that's and it was great totally to arrive here. And then there were uh, there was a group of uh, beautiful people I don't know sitting outside the bathroom, <laughs> which is great. And for they all had old timey ear trumpets <laughs> yeah. pointed towards the bathroom. When you walked out of the bathroom, they scurried to put their empty water glasses back on the shelf as if they hadn't been using them to listen on the other side of the door. I was I was I was already depressed and I walked in and I was like, oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. Because you told me that there was first of all, you texted me and said there's only one bathroom today, which yeah, I was one like, of the oh, God, broken. this is awful. Yeah. And then just seeing the crew here, I was like, God damn it. For for I'm listeners, just gonna look like a monster. That's all I'm afraid of. For listeners, Mitch and I are at our podcast network's headgums office in LA, and we're doing this remotely, but we're together in LA. Yes. And the the studio is uncharacteristically bustling today. Yeah. Which means that there's more than like yeah. the, me, you, and Casey in here, basically. <laughs> it's, it's the post outside. They're just fucking... I don't know if we want to say who it was, but one of our guests recently broke our toilet. Yes, he did. He did. Not with digestive force. No. With his hands by yes. mistake. And we really should introduce the podcast. Yeah, this is Blank Check with Griffin okay. and David. I'm Griffin. I'm David. 
It's a podcast about filmographies, directors who have massive success early on in their careers and are given a series of blank checks to make whatever crazy passion products they want. And sometimes those checks clear. Sometimes they bounce, baby. This is a mini series on the films of David Fincher. It's called The Curious Pot of Benjamin Buttcast. That's right. Today we're talking about the movie Seven with the Doughboys, Nick Weiger, <laughs> Mike Mitchell. So recently a guest broke our toilet. Yes. Yeah. I, I wanted to get that out of the way as quickly as possible. The it. intro, so I could get back to the most important right. thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our broken toilet, which has since been fixed. But we are, we record in like a windowless box. Yeah. It's a big box. Right. Now, a luxury of it is we do have our own bathroom. Yes. It's right there. But it's right there. We're pointing right over here. So if you're going to the bathroom, you're yeah. kind of going to the bathroom in the room. Oh, yeah. basically. Dear God. It's, it's a guest on an episode yet to come, but has been recorded already. Maybe we'll reveal who it is after that episode's come out. Mm. But he said, can I use the bathroom? We said, sure. Walked in, closed the door, and then we heard, whoops. And like a crashing sound. <laughs> it was truly like a cartoon, like whoops. Yep. Yep. And then and then him going, What's happening? Essentially, yes. as as the toilet lid fell to the ground. Right. Yes. Right. Like absurd Mr. Bean effects. Yeah. And then like five minutes later, he walked out and said, Your toilet is broken. <laughs> <laughs> it was good. It was good. Is this a was it a friend at least? Is it something yeah, that you know? Was, well? I'd say past tense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Friend forever. <laughs> Right. Yes. No. A future. A future guest. A future guest. Uh, Nick and Mitch. Thank you for doing this. What a treat. I love thank this podcast. Well, we've. We've. I. The. The four of us have become. Well, the two of us with the two of you have become friends via podcasting. I that's feel. True. Like. Yes. And that's a nice little uh, benefit of this the, medium. The, the blank also, dough text thread. Yep. It's. It's a great. A great text thread. And and a, 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 a popping social scene. I think so. Yeah. A lot of goss dropping in the blank dough, but also a lot of takes. Sure. Hot takes. I told you Gran Turismo is good yesterday. I said I like Gran Turismo. Blew up in the text. <laughs> I need to see that. <laughs> I need to see it, right? Uh, yeah, no, I do think the blank dough, I, I've said this before, but I think the the greatest utility of the blank dough uh, text thread is uh, it's become a great place for us to uh, type things out uh, instead of putting them on Twitter. <laughs> yes, hundred percent. Right. Basically, right. weaning me off of social media. Right, and yes. sometimes it's because it's spicy. You don't want to share it on main, and other times you're just like, "This is so banal. This is the kind of banal thing I would tweet six years ago, and I'd be fine. And if I did today, people would yell at me for reasons I cannot even fathom." Right. Yeah. Our buddy Evan Susser, uh, the commissioner of the Doughboys Tournament of Champions, for people who know our podcast, a uh, good friend, and he is. He has been doing bespoke memes just for mm. text threads, which I feel like is the next step of that. Yeah, that's good. Of like, I'm not going to put this meme on social media. I'm just going to send this to like three friends. Yes. Uh, my friends Austin Rodriguez and Yoni Lotan, who I was on a UCB sketch team with for years, would do that in our group text. And it was very impressive. The speed and the effort uh, for things that would only be seen by 10 people maximum. Right. Um, so here's the table setting when I want. Burger do. hits. <laughs> I'm just wondering what his what his when the burger are. hits. Uh, well, well, so speaking of Oppenheimer. memes, there's there's the account uh, Doughboys memes. I don't know who runs this. Oh right, yeah. But someone who just makes Doughboys memes tried to follow me on Instagram recently. That got a delete. Well, David, you can't see my pics. <laughs> okay. No, you. But yes, I, I'm aware of him. Uh, we, and, I, and a good job, whoever he is. We do, or she. she. Sure. Or they. Absolutely. We just yesterday, as of the time of this recording, announced that we were doing Fincher. Yeah. And the Doughboys meme account posted a, a picture of Mark Zuckerberg in the deposition room in Social Network saying, if you 
what was the fucking uh, Doughboys when they hear that Blank Check is doing the Finch Man? Right. If uh, if you wanted to be Doughboys, you'd have invented Doughboys. Correct. I don't know, something like that. Yeah. You guys got there first. That's this is what the table setting. This is the table setting I want to do. Okay. Well, we kind of stole the whole theme yeah, we also on stole from your you. format. Well, here's the thing: <laughs> we decided to do David Fincher on this podcast because he is certainly a Blank Check director, and he, you know, has a new film out this year called The Killer. You guys decided to do it because, because May, the, the the name of the month May. Well, I think we need, sounds like May. I think we need to back up even further here. Okay? Go ahead, go ahead. There are a number of guys on the list of like Fincher and Tarantino and whoever, where people go, "How is it possible you guys have been doing this show this long and you haven't covered blank?" Sure, right. The guys who are so canonically huge, especially I think the guys who are really big with our generation, the sort of '90s film bro auteurs. And for some of them, it was like, well, it's good to have them in the back pocket. So if we do a couple esoteric people in a row, we know we can have like a bigger heavy hitter guy. And also, if they've got something PTA, interesting. Yes. But, but with some of them also, we, we would get into the conversation where we're like, is it worth doing Fincher? He's so disgusted. Is there mm. anything we have to add to the conversation? Mm. We both love him and his movies. Mm. But sometimes we're like, fuck, I want to do Fincher. And other times we're like, maybe we never need to do Fincher. So you guys start doing, you did one one-off Fincher episode at first. Was Gone Girl the first one? So, yeah. We yeah. started saying, and I don't remember the the genesis of it, but we were saying we loved a Finch man. We right. would say that as like a, that was like a guy, like the we yeah. loved a Finch man guy. We would yeah, say. Yeah, it was just, like a Northern European. Yeah. We just, really didn't want to say where we were We didn't want to from. specify where the accent yeah. was from. And then we also kind of stopped doing the accent because <laughs> it seemed like it maybe vaguely right. problematic. Yeah. Mitch just started saying how much he loved Fincher movies in an episode. Yeah. And then we loved the Finch man became. We the, loved a Finch man. We loved right. a Finch man. There he yeah. is. Right. There so we, I brought the accent back. I think he's Nordic. <laughs> I'm glad you did. Yeah, yeah he's, Nor- he's Nordic. He's like a he's cheerful Nordic. Nordic guy. Right. Yeah. Who like lives in the countryside. Sven. So he's a little, right. He's a little Orkel rural. Tall. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so the, so we started saying that and then that led to people, like people love that to the point where we have merch that I'm wearing. I never wear right. merch, but we have a We Love to Finch Man shirt we made uh, and uh, Kinship Goods made. And that, that led to us doing a Gone Girl episode. And then the Gone Girl episode, people's response to that led to us doing a theme month for Fincher called a uh, Mank, yeah, uh, yes. which we did uh, five five of his films over the course of May. Which I was going to wear that shirt today too, mm-hmm. and truly, my tummy troubles just made everything chaotic, and I just forgot, yeah, to put it on. I'm mad. You did the Gone Girl app, and I think I texted in in the group chat. It'd be funny if you guys piecemeal covered all the Fincher movies before we did. Right. That's right. And it, mm-hmm. that's and it would yeah. remove that, the burden yes. from us. Yes. And I let that joke just stay in the air for a while. Yeah. yeah. Right. right? Like Mitch, like how Mitch let something stay in the air for a while recently. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> Sorry. It's the last. I won't do it again. I, I shouldn't have done it to begin with. It's not my it's, role in this friendship. There was nothing. You couldn't. It, there, it doesn't. It didn't. There was a, not a single smell made. Good. 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 <laughs> Good. Not a single aroma. <laughs> not a single smell made. Uh, by the way, I'm trying to look up something, and, that, and, that, and I'm not trying. I'm not trying. I'm not being rude by being my phone. But I met Fincher's AD on the on the uh, picket line. I've never talked about this. And I and some guy was walking up behind me. He was like, "What's that? What is that?" And I was like, "What do you mean?" He's like, "What's that? What's that shirt you're wearing?" Right. And I was wearing "We Love the Finchman" shirt. And. Uh, He's like, hold on. And he took a picture of it. And he's like, I'm sending it to David. Hey. Wow. 
and it was uh it was it was Fincher's AD whose name I'm looking up. Is it Richard Goodwin? I'm looking up his ADs. Um Matt McKinnon. I think it was Bob Wa- I think it might have been Bob Wagner. Bob Wagner. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll see. Governor of New York in the 50s, hey. of course, but probably not him. Um, but I, I tweeted I tweeted that comment out, or, or I texted that comment oh, to you I guys, see him, yeah, right? and he also worked on The Empty Man. Okay. Very cool. And then, like, maybe a month or two later, David and I are trying to strategize our schedule, and David goes, let me just pitch Fincher, right? He said, just yeah, yeah, let yeah, me yeah, right. make the argument, A, slots in here with what we have, this number of weeks... New movie coming out, first movie in a couple of years, yada, 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 makes the Fincher play. And I say, how much of this is you genuinely not wanting Doughboys to get all the Fincher movies out before we... None! <laughs> not at all! This is David's contention, okay? No! So then I, I text you guys and I go, hey, so I think we're going to do Fincher. Obviously, knowing you guys love the Finch Man, we'd love to have you on one of them. Uh, you know, I think half-jokingly, like... I guess we realized we want to do it before you guys get to them. And then you went, oh, that's funny because we just decided all of May is Fincher. So we, I came to you saying we were doing it right before you told me yes. that you guys had committed to doing five in a row. That's right. But so, we do, we came to an agreement, and, and I think this, this worked the out point well because to, we're right. not doing – we didn't cover seven. Yes. And that was partly because well, – it was, it, it, was, it was largely because you said, uh, would you like to do seven on – Blank check. These two things have been coordinated for a while. Yes. We, we just plan our podcast five years in advance. Right. And by right. the way, the other plus side you guys have is that we're dipshits and we didn't really cover anything at all. <laughs> no. So. I, I also like that you guys didn't cover Mank. Yeah, you didn't cover yeah, Mank. We, you're right. We didn't cover Mank. We didn't in, cover in, Mank, in, Mank in Mank. Right. And, and you even and, extended and, it into Junk and still yeah, didn't did. cover Mank. <laughs> We did Juke and we didn't cover. That's because we just wanted to watch one more, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, we just wanted to get, we wanted to fit an extra movie in there. I mean, you guys, yeah. you guys are masters of planning in that way, though. You really do <laughs> like to maximize. I mean, not since, uh, uh, what was it? Hot, hot Dober uh, Fest? Hot Dog? Do- dog Doe Bark. Dog Doe Bark Fest, a month-long right. celebration of hot dogs and uh, pet dogs. Right, which you did a month where you only reviewed hot dogs. Uh, a food that in that year uh, Nick had sworn off from eating, and Mitch is uh, infamously incapable of pronouncing. <laughs> I mean, we're idiots. We don't plan things well, no, and we good. didn't say a single good thing. I'll say this: Nick Weiger doesn't like almost anything, and he loves your guy's show. This is wow. the truth. I have wow. wins. I get that you're saying I'm some sort of like a, a, a cynic. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't mean like I don't mean it like that. Yeah. I see as a, someone who's been in the entertainment world for a long time, yes. you never get excited about things the way it's, there's some stuff I'll get excited about that. You okay, won't yes. care about. Yeah. But he gets excited about your podcast all the time. I'm not trying to say he's a man who doesn't have any joy. He does. Have well, joy. Mitch, you're forgetting one thing joy. that Weiger loves with his whole heart. What's that? The Finch man. He, he we loves love the, the Finch man. He, we, we love the Finch, love man. the Finch man. And he loves the blank check. Here, here's my question. The After Nordic guy much... now likes canonically likes a blank check too. <laughs> that guy, that, that same guy. Yeah, that same guy. So David, David said maybe you guys do seven, and then we got to the gentleman's agreement that you would hold it off of right. Mank. And then a couple times we said like, by the way, if you want a different one, you want to pick a different one. I know Weiger, you had said Zodiac's your favorite film of his. It's mine as well. It felt like that was maybe a conflict of interest for you to cover Zodiac just 
because you're still actively a suspect in that investigation. Right. <laughs> if, if nothing else, you're cribbing, you know, right. Right. Yeah. Weiger loves the Zodiac like I would love the Mike Mitchell story. <laughs> <laughs> but but you guys, you accepted Seven, the idea of Seven. Anytime we sort of throw out like alternate pitches, you kept on coming back to Seven. What is the relationship both of you have to Seven? Oh, man. Want me to go first? Yeah, you go might, you probably have a... You... In a good way, you were just a year or two older than me or whatever. I don't know how much older you are than me. I joke that you're much older. But um, I, I was like, you know, thir- maybe 13 when I saw it. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and saw it on VHS. And it was that thing like the, like the kids in my middle. The, I mean, just in general, the world being like, you know, like a tool and, and Nine Inch Nails and kind of the 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, discovering the dark side of of something so many kids were like you gotta see you gotta see seven and also still kind of being like a young not religious i I don't think i was a religious kid but like the fear of god was still in me so the idea that like these people were going to get killed by the seven deadly sins was kind of fascinating to me uh and 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 just you know like every kid that could see the movie at 13 years old or whatever who shouldn't really be seeing it telling me I had to see it was so it was so hyped up and it, it to me it was like one of the big VHS tapes that I watched before I should have probably and loved you know what I mean watching it uh, I, when I watched it this time I, I hadn't seen it in a really long time and I appreciated it for for different things that I did back then but I think that I that I I I I was like I I didn't know you could be so dark in entertainment or you could make a movie that dark I think that's what it was for me. There is an interesting like subgenre of R-rated movies that almost feel like they're designed to be best enjoyed by a 13-year-old sneaking a viewing. Right. Yes. Right. This, and this... not that like they're not that they're juvenile or that they don't have value for adults, but you're just sort of like, is there a better way to see Seven or Robocop or The Matrix? Right. It's just, I mean, it's the age we all are. I know we're, you know, we're a few years apart, but sure. the age we're all generally that this was just the touchstone, I've never seen a movie this fucked up movie mm-hmm. for us. Yeah. Like, I had 100%. never seen a movie this fucked up as Seven when I saw Seven. Yeah, I was also probably 12 or something on VHS. Yeah. yeah. You maybe had, I don't know. Uh, I'd seen Rugrats in Paris, which uh-huh. it goes to some pretty dark areas. They are lost in Paris, yes. so that's an issue. Chucky lost his mom, which is very sad. But, like, lost her, like, he doesn't know where she is. She's not dead. <laughs> no, she's dead. <laughs> is she? Chucky's mom's canonically, yeah, it's is a she dark dead? Oh, movie. no, right, right, right. She's, well, she's, but she's dead when Rugrats begins, right? It's Chucky, yeah. a single, he has a single Oh, does father. that make it better to you? <laughs> well, it's just, it's not like it happens in Rugrats in Paris. We have to grapple with it because his father falls in love with a new woman that's pretty uh, fucking dark. That's, yeah, that is pretty dark. Okay, so, uh, <laughs> withdrawn, and obviously that's a darker film. Yes. But Seven is still fairly dark. I don't think there are any bladed dildos in Rugrats in Paris that I can remember. No, they saved that for Rugrats Go Wild. <laughs> it's the third movie. <laughs> Uh, Nick, wh- what about you with Seven? Yeah, so similar to Mitch, you know, I saw this on VHS. I was not old enough to see an R-rated movie in theater. Uh, I can't remember. I think I got my, convinced my dad to rent it for me. Uh, and it was, he, my my way into it is kids at school had told me yes. it, like what's in the movie before I saw the that movie. That was my exact 100%. thing I was going to say is like someone being like, dude, there's like, 
gluttony and then yeah. like there's a big fat guy and they fucking feed him spaghetti and they kick him in the stomach he fucking explodes <laughs> which do do they talk about him kicking him in the stomach they do, they yeah, do. there is okay, a line right. where they say he kicked him in the stomach to kill him but it but it is a thing of like i was expecting a fu- like yeah, monty explosion. python yeah. you know fat guy explosion <laughs> mr creosa exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah we all heard about it in the playground and imagined something so ridiculous yeah for yeah. all of this stuff it sounded like a movie that was fake to me yes. when I was 11 years old and on a school bus or whatever and someone was like and then he makes like this guy have sex with like a spiky penis and I'm just like that that's not real Hollywood didn't make that that's not allowed no and and specifically that thing I mean connected to uh, the the thing I was bringing up of like R-rated movies that feel almost laser targeted to 13 year old boys this kind of thing where someone describes a movie to you and you cannot even visualize it yeah right. You know, like we spend a lot of time describing movies for a living, David. Sure. And I, I think rarely do people go like, that's impossible what you're saying. They accept it at face value. But when you're like 12 or 13, you haven't seen a ton of movies. And yeah. someone describes a thing to you where you're like, I don't even understand how that happens in front of a camera. How could, how could they possibly show this? Right? Yes. Which, you know what? Still think that when you watch the, I mean, when you watch some of this movie, I, I still wonder how they... They got away with some of that stuff. It's 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 wild. What's the not, not not to skip ahead too far here, but like what is the worst murder? Like what is the one where you're like, that's that's the most brutal or the one I'd want to have the least inflicted on me? Or I think it's the sex worker. It's probably the it's probably lust. Yeah. You think it's lust, lust. The lust as an adult's lust yeah. was like, oh, this and is a lot of people are involved too. So yes. it's kind of right. like it ripples in a way that the others don't. I think it's weird. Someone's still alive and is aware of what happened. The goriest and psychologically the yeah. most torture. Yes. That one's bad. I'm trying to remember. I mean, sloth is so nasty. I'd be good with gluttony, honestly. I think if someone was just feeding me the sauce, I'd be, <laughs> I think I'd be okay. It's like me watching Super Size Me, where I was just like, mm, I want McDonald's. Like, this <laughs> looks good. Like, that was my reaction to that movie. I think it was and a lot Morgan of being like, oh my God, this fry is get, making me sick. Shut the fuck up, <laughs> Spurlock. Full of shit. <laughs> The, uh, I, I feel like greed is pretty bad because of the psychological torment of having uh, to like yeah. cut off part of your body. He has to cut off his own yeah. flesh. Yeah, and that's just like that's that's gnarly. I think that the sloth thing where he's still alive. Yeah, that was. I remember that being like kind of the nastiest shock, right? Mm-hmm. Where he's in the bed, or is that that sloth? Right? Yes, yeah, that yeah, is sloth. Yeah, and, and then no. suddenly, and you're like, this is a corpse. I, th- I think the playground thing. That was the thing that was the playground thing that was so hyped up. Yeah. For like sloth was yes. the thing that you heard of. Like gluttony and sloth were the two things that you heard about before you saw the movie. But that's right. like, I mean, like even just hearing us trying to describe this and hash this <clears throat> stuff out now, right? Similar to Goonies, gluttony and sloth are. Well, yeah, everyone called Chunk gluttony. <laughs> Yeah. The fifth sin, Corey Feldman. Um, no, this, the, the weirdness of this movie where, like, if you're a kid and another kid has gotten a seat before you and he's describing it, right. you're yes. like, is this a horror movie? Is it, like, a, a, a prosthetics-heavy cartoon? Yeah. Is it a serious <laughs> crime thriller? Like, I don't understand how these things can coexist in one film, let alone a movie that adults are taking seriously. Well, that, so, so my dad, my dad lived in the United Kingdom without us, without the rest of my family from 1994 to 1995. He would come back every month. Wow. Because he like the whole thing was he got this job in England and okay. he wasn't sure if he was going to stay, you know, like, and then we all moved, right? Mm-hmm. And I lived in England. But in that one year, he was living alone. And I think he saw more movies. Oh, and sure. And so this is one of, this is to me a classic 
My dad actually saw this movie. And he said, I can't wait till you move to London so I can take you to see Seven. <laughs> but I remember him telling me about it. And obviously, in a way, yes, the same way of like, you're too young for this, but yeah. I saw this crazy movie. And the way, again, I was just like, I was pretty young then. I was probably 10. Yeah. I was just like, you're describing something that sounds like pornography to me. Not in terms of like, it just in terms of like, this isn't mainstream. You right. sound, it sounds like you're talking about like some snuff movie you saw. Like, yeah. not something that's like, oh yeah, fucking, you know, New Line Cinema Presents. Like, Well, like another movie we covered this year, Train Spotting, right? I remember my parents going to see Train Spotting and my mom describing the toilet scene to me. And I was like, well, what you're describing sounds like it happens on a Nickelodeon show that I watch and you walk by in the background and scoff and go, this is so silly. Right, not in like an art house festival. Hit. Right, and I'm like, what right. do you mean you, you respect the movie you just saw where a man <laughs> climbs headfirst into a toilet and goes down into the sewers, <laughs> Right, you know? Sims, I, I have a question. In the, in the UK cut of Seven, was it still sauce with gluttony or was it like figgy pudding or something instead? <laughs> Figgy spell sloth with a U. Yeah, they. they <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. No. They. Uh, oh shit! I'm trying to think of another Brit joke I could make right now. Uh, the 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 dildo was made of aluminium. I don't what know. Was, <laughs> what was the UK US conversion rate in 1995? Oh, like so, Seven Deadly Sins was actually 4.5 British sins. <laughs> yes. <right? laughs> Um, One of the deadly sins is oversteeping your tea. <laughs> oh, I mean, because then then it tastes like. I remember my friend saying that to me once. He's it like, tastes he, like he was like, you can't leave the bag in too long because then it's like. Nah. I remember making it, and I was like, he's right. It's what it tastes like. Um, no, the weirdest thing about Seven Two is that it is not like a, an art house hit at all. At the, it, it was a it played like a blockbuster. Yes. And like it was it's not like it played at a film no. festival or anything like that. Like it was not being released as a prestige film. It was a bizarre September blockbuster that was being sold as like a nasty little genre movie. Right. It's like it's in the same vein in terms of its release strategy as like Kiss the Girls. Yeah. Something like that. Like, you know, right. all those Morgan Freeman thrillers that come after it. Where and then it's like, you know, you yeah. read the reviews at the time and like it feels like 40% of critics just dismiss it as like, this is just too much. 100%. That, that's what I remember. Like, cause I remember reading reviews of this movie and at the time, like re, like in the newspaper and Newsweek and then it being like, kind of like critically dismissed. I, I could be, my memory could be wrong about that, but I remember it like being kind of like, you know, it, it, it this is, this is a, this is a cheap entertainment or, yeah. Uh, you know, it, th this is this is lurid for the for it for that for its own sake. It was spread out like there were people who were tapped into it early. Ebert was like there from the beginning. Yeah, I think there were much. people. Who, yeah, but, but I think even those reviews were like, "This is an exceptionally made thriller." Yes, it was not like this is a film worthy of Oscar consideration. It was more like this is a really good noir movie, right? You know, that's nasty because it's the '90s, and then also. And his name will come up several times, I'm sure, during this episode, because it has to. Kevin Spacey won a ton of critics' awards that yes. year for this and visual suspects. Excuse me. Right? I was looking it up. There are multiple, at least five awards that gave him split supporting actor across. Uh, right. Swimming with Sharks. Two. Yep. Yep. Usual suspects. Yep. Seven and Outbreak. Outbreak. His 95 was in fucking saint. Right. It was yeah. sort of that like he's arrived this like character actor yes. who's been hanging around. Yes. Y you know watching it again I kind of like Pitt's performance the most in the movie. I don't know if that's We can talk else. about it. I mean I I think Freeman is incredible in this movie. I agree. Um, Pitt it's like 
is this his first serious performance? I guess 12 Monkeys is the same year. Yeah, but 12 Monkeys, he films right after this. Right. And it comes out. Maybe right he had, before? He had Legends of the Fall. Was that yeah. just before he's, this? He's so bad. He's Legends coming of off the heartthrob run. He's coming right. off of Legends of the Fall, River Runs Through It, mm-hmm. uh, Interview with a Vampire. Yeah. Like this and 12 Monkeys are him being like, I finally have cachet. I yeah. need to push back on being a pretty boy. 12 Monkeys came out December. So it kind of comes out a few months yeah. later. Right. Right. And he similarly, he gets the 12 Monkeys nomination that feels like it's a little bit for this. I do think Spacey's Usual Suspects win is a little bit for this. For sure. You know? Yeah. Like this movie has several people who are just like really kind of uh, cresting. They cast really perfectly. But but going back to just the uh, intensity of this film, JJ, our researcher, put together a very good uh, uh, dossier of uh, stuff on this movie. Which sure. There are a lot of weird apocryphal myths about this film. This is the kind of movie that myths extend from. Yeah. But like everyone fucking turned this movie down. The list of people who were right. straight off for this film, uh, huge stars. Uh, and we'll get to the development process up to this point. But like this was the biggest budget movie New Line had made up until this point in time. And this was New Line trying to level up and be like, here's a script that's great, but it's a little too grisly for any of the bigger studios to make. Right. We're going to treat this as our first A movie, whereas Warner Brothers would treat this as a B movie. And it was their biggest budget ever, which was 35, and they tried to get every fucking star attached. And you read through this list, and it's like everyone who reads the script goes like, this is morally offensive. Right. You know, like Denzel, Al Pacino, Harrison Ford, like everyone. Denzel like sounded scared. He was like, this is yeah. evil. Correct. Evil. Like it's not even them being like, this would hurt my reputation to be in a movie that's this nasty. Their attitude is like, how dare you? I'm going to fire my reps for even passing this along to me for consideration, which this movie is still intense, but it is wild to think about at that point, almost 30 years ago, people were like, this would be ruinous to not just my career, but culture at large if it got made. Now it's kind of like, you want to go on the Doughboys podcast? Your agent reach out to you about that. How dare you suggest this to me? I'm firing you immediately. <laughs> the, the things that were most interesting to me about it, and I'm sure you have it in the dossier, of, of people who turned it down, uh, one they talk about on the commentary is Arlie Ermey, I guess, read for John Doe, yeah. which is insane to think about. That's and wild. then the other one, they also, I guess, offered it to Ned Beatty. Who yes. was uh, similarly was like this is the most this is e- this is pure evil is the most yeah. evil thing I've ever read. Yes, kind of fun to imagine. But right, they had no concept of John Doe. It sounds like because those are three very different actors, like Spacey, yes. Ermy, yeah. Ned Beatty. Yeah. yeah, it's so weird that they settled on Kevin Spacey though, playing like a dead voice, you know, psychopath. Like that just it's just not something he's good at. I, look, I don't know the order in which we we can discuss <laughs> what the proper this. way to do it. Right, but like while watching this movie. And just thinking about, like, especially a lot of things that have come to light about Kevin Spacey in the last couple of years. I'm talking post-allegations, right? Sure. In in Kevin Spacey's attempt to sort of defend himself and clean up his character, he has really played up the trauma of his childhood, which is legitimate. Sure, sure. But you, like, read about how intense his childhood was, and you're like, right, this is kind of the story you hear on a true crime documentary about what leads a man to become a murderer, and instead, with him, it led a man to become really good at playing murderers in movies. And then the power of stardom leading to right. him being a psychopath. Right. And now he's out to dinner with Elton John. Yes. That's what I saw recently. Yeah. 
I want to give you guys some background on the film seven okay. from our dossier. Um, and uh, I do want to point out that Mank, a film that the Doughboys have never discussed, will never discuss, may, maybe will never discuss, was on deck. Uh, he was the script was ready. His yeah. dad, Jack Fincher, wrote the script for Mank. Yeah. And like the script was ready after Alien 3 and he thought about like, you know, pursuing Mank this early in his career. Well, he also had the attitude post Alien 3 of like, I never want to make a movie again. That was well, he's a little bit of that. Miserable. Yeah. And I think you hear about a lot of guys like this. And this is another thing that speaks to like the sort of critical uneasiness around this movie when it came out is there was still such a like you're just a fucking music video director. Right. You're, you're you guys all are flashy, sizzle. it's all yeah. style. You don't have like the the actual know-how uh, or the integrity or the human depth or whatever it is. But uh, for a lot of those guys, there there are a lot of examples of like they make their one big movie and they go like, this is not fucking worth it. I can make commercials and music videos and make $20 million a year on much shorter shoots with much less interference. Right. The um, Kinka Ushers of the The Kinka world. Usher, the, the Joe Pitkas. Yes. But it did feel like Fincher was kind of half in this zone of like, maybe I just fucking go back to the more lucrative thing. And it makes sense that he's like, maybe I just make my dad's script before I retire from movies forever. Um, he also met with the Bond producers, he says, when they were transitioning to Pierce Brosnan. Although he says, believe me, they didn't want to hear from me. Right. But he did have a meeting with them. He told his reps not to send him scripts, which is why he was considering Mank so seriously at this point in time, because it's the only thing he's reading. He also was attached, actually attached, to the remake of The Avengers, the British Avengers. Mm -hmm. Oh, with uh, which was eventually turned into a movie with Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman, a movie that ultimately was directed by Jeremiah Cheshik, director of producer Ben's beloved National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, who was inexplicably the original director attached to Seven. He was the first choice, That's right? Because he seven. was like, "I want to go more serious. I've been doing too many comedies," and instead he made the Avengers. Yes, um, but they did a full swap years apart. Uh, yeah, so this is a spec script written by Andrew Kevin Walker. He said he wrote it in sort of the late 80s in New York. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, sort of nasty New York, right. which he says is sort of informing the He grows up in the, the suburbs. He right. moves to New York. He's like, this is the most uh, decrepit, degenerate, <laughs> disgusting place on earth. How can anywhere be this evil? He worked at Tower Records. Yes. And, and uh, yeah. Basically, this script was his motivating force to be like, I want to write a script so good I can quit my fucking job at Tower Records. Mm -hmm. And it was like a two and a half year process of writing this script. Just being like, if I can, I just need to fucking get out so I, this could be my last month ever working here. And then, indeed, it gets sold to a company called uh, Penta Film. Mm -hmm. And they option it for Jeremiah Cheshik. Mm -hmm. Is that how you say his name? Mm -hmm. And he demands a rewrite uh, that includes removing the head from the box. Right. Is generally just a sanitized version of the a movie, classic apparently. Hollywood. You've written this incredible calling card script. Oh my God, what an incredible, uncompromising view! Right. Obviously, we're not going to let you make any of this. So he goes through like a year or two developing it with this company, going along with all their rewrite pitches. Yeah, he's right. He's doing a script that he basically says, if it had ever gotten made, would have ruined his career. Right. Would have been a dead end. Um, it was offered to Phil Juno, mm -hmm. uh, who is best known as the director of many a YouTube music video. Was a, a Fincher contemporary, yes. but was more uh, heralded as this guy might have the goods to be a feature director than Fincher was. 
Um, and he was going to make it maybe with Gary Oldman, but they found it too grim. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as you say, Fincher post Alien Three, a movie we all like, I think, good movie, is uh, just like don't even send me scripts, like forget it, I fuck it, I hate all of this. And that's a movie with uh, an unrelentingly bleak worldview that right. Fox kept on pushing up against. So uh, you can just imagine when he's reading a script like this, he's just like, what's it going to look like at the end of this fucking process? Right, right, right. How will they ruin it? But Mike DeLuca, uh, who obviously is Mr. New Line at the time, now he runs uh, Warner Brothers, right? He just got put in charge of Warner Brothers, is like, I want you to make this. Uh, Fincher reads the script and he's just like, uh, this is so evil. Uh, And then he reads the ending and is like, I can't believe this is the ending of this movie. And uh, famously, they had sent him the wrong script. They had sent him the unsanitized version and they meant to send him the no-head version. So New New Line had sort of rolled back the script to the earlier version before the the previous company had butchered it. The Jeremiah Cheshire version. But they still were like, this can't be the ending. And then, yes, Fincher gets the wrong draft. Fincher gets the fucked up draft and is like, I really want to do this. And they're like, oh, we sent you the wrong script. Read the other script. And he's like, I don't like that. I want to do the thing you sent me. I want to do the fucked up version. And uh, And every conversation you read from then on out is obviously head in a box is a non-starter. David, don't even fight me on it. It's not happening. Sure. And Fincher was just like so adamant. And and the argument, I think it's in the dossier that he puts it to the the producer. What's the producer's name on this film? Uh, Arnold Copelson. Yeah. Yep. He said, and this is a point where he's like, no one's expecting this movie is going to be a genuine blockbuster, right? Right. They think it's going to be some weird cult curio thing. Uh, this is the weird side project a bunch of big stars made in between glossier Hollywood movies. And he said, this is the ultimate outcome we want for this movie is just imagine a couple kids in a schoolyard 20 years from now <laughs> yes, being like, yes. have you ever seen this fucked up movie that ends with a woman's head in a box? And they'll all be and like, the oh, yeah, is, yeah, right. I remember that. Right. You know? and he's like, if we put that in the movie, no one will ever forget that they've seen this movie. Um, Even if the yes. movie doesn't succeed in theaters at the time. It is amazing that this ending exists in such yes, yeah. like a mainstream studio film because this was the era of like, I remember like the Scarlet Letter like yeah, they oh, like yeah. they like put in a happy ending. They grafted a happy ending onto that, and it, it, it's like that. I, I feel like they were completely averse to doing anything ending on a down note at all throughout the '90s. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I can't think of no, any no, other no. I think you're right. I think like it's peak yeah. sort of like the player era Hollywood. They're going to sanitize everything. Like you're saying, they're sending this script to people who are big actors, who are like. I won't do this movie. And how right. dare you even send me this? They and receive I burned the it. script. Then right. they tie it to a brick and throw it back through the window <laughs> of New Line. Um, but Brad Pitt claims, I think Brad Pitt can be a bit of a fabulous, God mm-hmm. bless him, but uh, claims that he like contractually demanded the head stay in the box yeah. like when he when he signed on. That and also and that he, Mills shooting. And right. that he, you know, his character kills uh, John Doe. Which, which, just watching it last night, the ending is of course heavy. Yeah. And I was like, would I have mo- would it have bothered me if Morgan Freeman shot Spacey? I don't I don't know if it would have bothered me. I guess it does just take away from the bleakness of it all. Well, I, Mitch, you you were putting forth the question of is Pitt the best performance in this movie? And I don't know if I agree with that, but he kills the final scene so hard. I love it. 
And he just is, plays. He plays such a great dumb guy in this movie. That's he, really that's what why I mean. he's good. Dumb, which is 100%. the way the show is written and, too. So and you just dumb. read about like. Well, like, you know, it's hard to gauge what was the actual first round pick if Fincher had his choice from all the people they offered it to. Right. But it's like, it sounds like he really wanted a version that was like Gene Hackman and Denzel, right? Where like yeah. Mills is younger than Somerset, but he's not young. Yeah. Right, 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 right. right. And it, Pitt was so outside of like the type they were thinking of. He just had so much heat and studios wanted him to do anything at that point, And he latched onto it. And Fincher was like, he's wrong for this. And New Line was like, please take the meeting. If you cast this guy, you'll be able to get away with more, right? right? And he was just like, I met with him and I thought he was completely wrong for the part, but there was something about like, you kind of wanted to root for this guy. Right. And Fincher has these, this quote, he said it in when he was going through the whole insane process, casting Dragon Tattoo, which we'll obviously get to in a later episode. But when he was doing such rigorous testing of like every single actress in Hollywood and he said, like, the reason I was so uh, stubborn about this and relentless about it was that, like, I think the thing you want to find when you're casting your leads and casting your movie stars is like the essential quality they have in their being that no matter what is going to come through on camera because like shoots are long. They're mm -hmm. intense. I'm going to do 100 takes with people it's not about how good they are on the first take. It's about what am I not going to be able to beat out of their system even when they're exhausted and run down. And the thing that works, and you kind of can't imagine this wasn't by design from the first place, is that like Pitt has the energy of a guy who is trying so hard to prove that he is a serious actor. It's right where he is in his career. He's like, he's trying to be serious in the movie and yes. he's, and the character is like, I'm a real cop. Like right. I'm, and like, that's why Morgan Freeman is so good. Could not be more relaxed. He's Couldn't so have less like, to prove. Uh -huh. Yeah. Right. You know, like just like, he's not even, he doesn't even have an attitude. No. He's just literally seen it all. Right. And Morgan Freeman comes in and he's like, cut like 40% of my dialogue. Like he goes through the script well, of Fincher. All right, all right, all right, all right. Okay. Okay. You're, you're, you're. And Pitt's like, give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Okay. So, all right. Some of the people linked to the Pacino is yes. the big one yeah. for Somerset. Hates playing cops, though. That, a very different movie. Yeah. I don't, I cannot imagine mid 90s Pacino doing this. He'd be so like loud and over the. I mean, I love him. It'd be but, a nightmare. Um, Every other version that you said, I mean, like, like, uh, just Denzel taking over Pitt's role, the movie right. doesn't work in the same way. There's, no. there's just, it, it, it does feel perfect. Well, there's a scene they they you know the 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 lust interrogation uh, with the actor's name is is a scene. Oh, so right. Uh, but and and it's it's him like he's you know he's giving his his hyperventilating uh, description of what happened to him and what John Doe did to him and what he got strapped into. The alien resurrection guy. Yes, yeah, and, yep. and, damn good. But he's opposite Morgan Freeman, and they they like Fincher and Pitt who are together in the commentary like zero in. I was like like and like they're like like and Freeman just sitting there like he's just looking at him like he's not doing anything in that scene and that like calmness that calming presence it just like. It's like the blue doesn't show up on blue thing, right? Like he's like right. the the little bit of calm that's amidst all the chaos uh, in in this uh, it, it, throughout this city and throughout this investigation. Some Sonic the Hedgehog saying the blue doesn't show up on blue. That's <laughs> why so his belly's a different color. Oh, okay. All right, that's it. And okay. his shoes. Um, all right. Hackman supposedly passed on the movie. <laughs> Duvall and Harrison Ford. I don't know. Um, I, I imagine they offer it to every single person. <laughs> They're still laughing about Sonic. We made, we made ourselves laugh over here. <laughs> We're sorry. It's quite all right. 
Uh, <laughs> Morgan Freeman loves the script. Mm-hmm. This is right after Shawshank, right? Like, yes. Yeah, so he's... I guess it's probably... Well... Yeah. Has it come out? Uh, it's 93, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. Or is it 94? No, that's, there's the... There's the 94. I thought Shawshank was 94. It's 94. Is it 93? Yeah, it's 94. shooting this movie in 94. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah. Shawshank is just... Shawshank's the, come out. He's definitely got... You know, and you know, driving mistake. I'm just trying to. I'm just trying to pick, like, because like this is the beginning of Morgan Freeman movie star, in my opinion. Even though, like, I would agree, those two things give him a lot of prestige, yes. and he's and other smaller role. But like now, it's after this, it's like Kiss the Girls, Long Came a Spider, Million. You know, like like Morgan Freeman think, is your star. I think the tale on Daisy is very long, mm. right? All right, jeez, she's got a fat ass, Miss Daisy. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. <laughs> No, Tandy drove you wild. Almost like a truck. <laughs> um, no, I think that movie was so uh, huge and beloved, sure. uh, and and I think almost like immediately became like a, a TV mainstay, right? Right. So he's like, you know, a- and then Shawshank, which famously performed when it came out, but is like such a beloved performance. Um, yeah. You know, he said the main reason he accepted this movie, Freeman, when every other actor's turning it down morally. And uh, New Line said, hey, what about Morgan Freeman? And Fincher went like, don't even offer it to Morgan Freeman. He's going to be so offended. Right. And they were like, Freeman's read it and he's interested. Yes. And he meets with him and he's like, why do you want to do this? When all these other guys have said no, who have done gnarlier movies than you. And Freeman was basically like, I, like not to sound like ego driven, but like I was not getting offered many films where I was the guy carrying the story at that point. Right. You know, yeah, and he was sense. like, he was, it was more basically right like, Daisy yeah. and Shawshank, but in both of those cases, he's a little more secondary. Right. And even though Pitt's first build in this, it really is Freeman who's moving it along. And he was like, the fact that Shawshank, I was narrating and I got to carry the story. I read the script and I was like, the script's good. My guy's on every page. And he's sort of the steady hand. How am I going to say no to that? But as you say, he and asked I'm a little for... bit of a freak myself, too. <laughs> well, it, well, there might be a little of that. I don't know. <laughs> Um, I like putting things in boxes. Uh, <laughs> um, he did ask for stuff to get cut, which I feel like is a rare demand for an actor. Yeah. Like, hey, I need less lines. But, he but he's just like, like, I can just do this yeah, with a look. I can do that yeah. with a look. Um, cut. I mean, you're talking about Nick, just like his energy and some of the like the shots of him listening. There is yes. the reaction shot he gives when Gwyneth Paltrow tells Maybe him my favorite scene in the movie. she's right. pregnant. Yes. Oh, yeah. That is astonishing. He's so upset about it, but so he's upset. doing his best to just be like, you know, poker faced about it. And yes. like the little bit that comes out is so good. Yes. I love that's my favorite scene in the movie. It, yeah. It's 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 a great scene. It is like a, you know, it, it it's it's such a it, in a lot of ways, it's such like a because you talked about the script being written in the late 80s, like that version of New York. It's such like a timestamp of that era when it's like like, you know, urban decay and like this is like the cities are dangerous and stay right. out of Should there. And like her here, character right. is so, yeah, she's like friendless and isolated. But just like the, the thing that struck me that I, that I didn't track when I was younger and I watched this, I don't think I've seen this movie and, you know, I'd seen it more than once, but I don't think I'd seen it in, in 20 years. Watching it now is just like the profound loneliness of everyone. Like yeah. everyone is isolated. Like you know, even this married couple, like they're they're together, but they're 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 shown in separate spaces a lot. The person she can confide in is like 
her his like partner. like yeah his partner his it's like that's insane new partner Who, like, his new partner yeah doesn't yeah. have an emotional relationship with like no, they yeah, barely know each other trying to connect the two of them and in the process she realizes that she gets along with him but i think that's such a key thing where like the Paltrow, Paltrow so good in this, but that character plays so well despite not having a ton of screen time. And I think the secret key is like, that's the character that's the analog for Andrew Kevin Walker, right? Sure. That's the character he relates to most in this movie. Right, like this isn't like Paul Schrader where Paul Schrader is like, Writing Taxi Driver and it's like, I kind of feel this way sometimes. Right. right. Andrew Kevin Walker is like, I'm sort of a babe in the woods who moved to a big city because I want to have a career. And it's so scary. Right. And know. like the career ambition is like Brad Pitt's character. Like that's the thing that drove him that he's following. And then he's just terrified by this whole city around him. He's writing the script over years. So like, yeah, Nick, as you said, by the time this movie comes out, it's coming out in a like New York that's being giuliani but it's a right. remnant of a New York that to him was just like incomprehensibly dark. Wow, well, we brought up Kevin Spacey and Giuliani. Is there anyone else we want to? Don't worry, okay. I got a list. I'm running through them. All right, so yes. Is, were, were they, were, were, were Gwyneth Paltrow and, and Brad Pitt dating at this point still? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Uh, this is when they start dating, I believe. Oh, okay. Right? I think. They, uh, no, they've got a feeling. They met they on the set of work well together. Yes. They dated for three years. They got engaged in 1996 mm -hmm. and split in 97. And I can't remember when he gets with Aniston, but it's not that long after that, I feel like. No. Uh, and does she go to Affleck after that, maybe? Because she yeah. had the Affleck relationship. For yeah, many years, yeah. Um. So yes, Denzel famously turned down this movie and regrets it. The other movie he regrets turning down? Mikey Clayton. Michael Clayton, which is wow. amazing to think about him in yes. that. Yes. I mean, I think that is like maybe the best Clooney performance of all time. I but agree. it is it is cool to think about Denzel as Michael yes. Clayton. The other, the other thing when I was reading about this movie is that that is such like a 90s thing that, that wasn't in my head today, but is like, oh yeah, of course they would have thought about that, was that they were like, you know, older black detective, young white detective. This is right. people are just going to think it's Lethal Weapon, which yeah, is sure. like this is so totally completely different from Lethal Weapon. But it, it, it like it, it no, it's you can true. see them over calculating the casting to that point and finally being like, I guess we'll do it anyway. You know? Especially because right. Pitt's kind of manic in this movie, and you yeah. know, Morgan is too old for this shit. Yeah, I mean, he's retiring. He's about to right. retire. It's so weird that he became a movie star playing guys who are about to retire and then was like, I can do this for 20 more years. Like, yes. you know, <laughs> like that's what he did after this. Like, it's yeah. true. You, okay, you agree with me. No, I'm no, just no, I do. No, it's it's the thing of, yes, I, I, I think you and I uh, find it particularly fascinating when someone who is like a very established actor suddenly locks into their movie persona. Right. Their right. movie star persona, let's say. And they get say. vehicles all of a, you know, out right. of nowhere. Yeah. And, and like late into a career, right? Where it's just like, oh, that's the thing where if you plant him in that, suddenly there's a handle on and everyone understands right. it's this kind of movie. Right, right. Because um, yes, he he was just sort of like, I think, Mr. Serious Actor, Mr. Prestige. Mm -hmm. uh, and then there's this like odd, you know, what would be late career for anyone else. That's really like of his, his ascension to A-list status is mm -hmm. just like this gentle but weary cop. Um, I do like this line from Brad Pitt that uh, I just wanted to escape the cheese and I came to find out that David Fincher had a lactose intolerance as well. I like that. It's like Pitt, Pitt trying to, you know, get beyond Legends of the Fall. And Fincher talks a lot about like Pitt fucking saved him on this movie. Pitt just had so much power to swing around in that moment. 
that any time, and, and they were so aligned in their view of what they wanted to get out of this movie that he would be losing an argument and Pitt would just place the one call and it would be settled immediately. A thing Fincher had been fighting over for five months. And his quote was like, the power of being blonde is astonishing. Right, right. right. Yeah. That's his, he's, look, he gives funny quote. Um, did you know the reason they wanted Ned Beatty? Because he looked like the composite drawing of the Zodiac Killer. That's right. That is the original. So that's how early how he's thinking about, about Zodiac. <laughs> uh, and Ned Beatty said, this is the most evil thing I've ever read. Yep. He wanted Michael Stipe briefly. Interesting. Height of REM's success. I mean, Spacey in this movie is giving a very Stipe-like performance, sure, I would argue. Bald. <laughs> no, but his whole like weird Spacey energy, no yeah. pun intended. Uh, you know, and then yes, they settle on Spacey, uh, and uh, well, whatever. Like, well, then, then they get the runaround from New Line for a while. What? What? Spacey yeah. does his audition. Yeah, Pitt and Fincher watch it. They go, "Holy shit! This guy seems totally innocent. Will never commit any crimes. This performance is amazing. <laughs> he can hold his head high walking out of the courtroom. He will always be vindicated." <laughs> oh boy! Put this guy in front of a fireplace. Maybe get a sweater on him. We like, all know we? there are no yeah. crimes in art. Uh huh. In fact, now that you mention it, we never did see my death, did we? Uh, he said all of this. Uh, his audition tape was just the original reading of Let Me Be Frank. <laughs> <laughs> and they said, what is this material? It's a spec I'm working on. I don't think it's quite ready yet. I'm going to keep it in the pocket for yes. a rainy day, if you will. But Spacey was like starting to rise, had shot already, Swimming with Sharks, Usual Suspects, Outbreak. None of them had come out. Right. But he had three big movies in the can. One indie film where he was like the co-lead and then two huge films where he was, you know, a, a mid-sized film where he was ensemble, a huge studio film where he was getting the end. And so his quote had gone up, but he wasn't demonstrably a box office draw yet. Yeah. And so New Line didn't want to pay for him. Yeah. They cast someone else who no one has been able to quite... No one knows who. They had someone figure else on out who deck. it was. Right. But they start filming with someone else trying to get... Spacey. Yeah, he did 12 days. Yes. Yeah. And then uh, Pitt finds out, he said, what happened? Have we closed the deal on Spacey yet? Fincher says, no, they won't agree. Oh, no, Spacey did 12 Spacey, days. Spacey's whole shoot was 12 days. Right. right. I think yeah. that guy only filmed a day or two. Yeah, sure. sure and I sure. think it was mostly, maybe it was the foot chase stuff. It wasn't any of the big dialogue stuff. Right. Um, was it Stoltz? Did he do it to Stoltz again? Oh, my that God. would suck to Stoltz. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it, Pitt was the one who got on the phone with New Lion and said, hire Spacey. Right. And then the deal was closed. He was on set two days later and the rest of his career was perfect. Is the other actor in the, the they did reshoots, right? The other actor. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah and the, the, I guess the helicopter shots in the, at the end, they all, they shot all that with doubles because they had to shoot that months later. Right. Mm -hmm. They um, wouldn't give Fincher the budget to do it originally. I didn't um, realize that, that, that cop there in the helicopter was what's his name the uh john c mcginley yeah mcginley yeah. yeah uh john c mcginley is in this uh arlie ermy apparently hated david fincher and said that he treats actors like puppets what was his line like if you hate acting i recommend working with david fincher if you're not worth a shit at acting and you're not creative then i recommend you go work with david fincher because he won't <laughs> let you act even if you're a fucking good actor now arlie ermy i will say is someone who seems a little intense salty yeah <laughs> yeah just generally. Yeah, a salty, yeah. Uh, and he is, it's interesting because, like, he seems like someone who would never, like, be able to take direction. He's a goddamn no. drill sergeant. Yeah. 
But also he worked with Stanley Kubrick, who I, I consider even more famously exacting. Well, that's what's wild about him being that critical of Fincher. But then also it's like he famously is the guy in Kubrick's oeuvre where he was like, do whatever the fuck you want. Right. You're actually allowed to go off. Right. Yeah, you actually don't have you. to do I'm giving script. you the space. Right. He's good in this movie. He's he is good in this. I, I yep. love seeing him as a police chief. And I, I was just going to say it's interesting because I you know I I, I watched the comment the actor's commentary uh, and the one that that's the one that Fincher's on or one of the ones that Fincher's on. Um, and he said like Morgan Freeman specifically talks about how like he like when Fincher talked to him about the the role he didn't really give him any notes on characterization and he was just like talking about you know how he wanted to shoot it and he was just talking about lighting and blocking. And he felt like like he was like, oh, OK, he's just kind of like he he knows that I'm going to take care of that element. So I wonder if he treated like, you know, he I, I wonder if the puppeting was more of how he treated individual cast members, but not everyone. I don't well, know. That may well be true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, here's pure conjecture on my part. Great. Love it. Love pure conjecture. Yeah. I Because I was reading more quotes from Ermi talking about this. Right. And he was just like, I came ready to do all this stuff and he wouldn't let me do any of it and he didn't trust me as an actor and whatever. You watch the opening credits of this movie and it starts going like Arlie Ermey, mm. John C. McGinley, mm. Richard Roundtree, right? And I'm thinking like, man, I forgot this movie has a murderer's row, just a stack deck of some of the greatest yep. cinematic yellers in history, yep. right? Yep. Just some fucking screamy sons of bitches. And then you watch the movie and the guys are all pretty muted. Right. It's like he's taking these guys who you know can be really volatile. Yeah. And he's keeping them all like a little bit domesticated. Sure. And I imagine Arlie Army came in here and was like, I want to fucking act. Especially when he originally originally auditioned for John Doe, right? right. That he's like, I want to show my range. Everyone knows me as the drill sergeant. I want to fucking give a dramatic showcase performance. And Fincher wisely was like, you got to be bottled. Because the most disarming thing is to watch Arlie Army, the drill sergeant, sit quietly behind a desk and sort of go like, okay, now don't get too invested in this case, you know? Right. Like, not really blow up, but maybe that was incredibly frustrating for him. I do like when he answers the phone and he's like, this isn't my desk, and then hangs up the phone. Yeah. I think but, that's funny. But like that that exact exchange, you could imagine Arlie Army playing in like the full J. Jonah oh. Jameson. Yeah. To the nines, screaming, <laughs> slamming the phone down. He would have been a good J. Jonah James. He's got the hair. People, I think that was... That makes sense. Cameron maybe that wanted to sense. cast him as J.J.J. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, I, I think that's part of it. And it's that thing of like, going back to Fincher's very strategic about what he casts actors for, you know? So someone like Pitt, it's like the fact that he wants to be taken seriously is the thing that's going to really come across on screen. Versus casting someone like Arlie Army or Richard Roundtree and having them sit behind a desk and never blow up is him sort of playing with the tension of what you sure. expect these types of guys to Same do. Same with, yeah, Richard Roundtree, right. Just, yeah. yeah, giving these dour press conferences. I love that this is set in a non-real city where it's just raining all the time and everything sucks. It's like it's like Blade Runner. Like, it's like, yeah. I know Blade Runner is technically set in a city, right? Is it L.A.? It's L.A. Yeah. Right? But, like, yeah, it is L.A. But, like... um, Their badges just say Metropolitan. Yeah, that it's just like, you know, they just live in, like, USA. I've been watching the Saw movies, which mm. obviously are hilariously indebted to Seth. Sims, like, I, that was my big thought about this is how much I was I forgot how much Saw stole Saw is just oh, like say stole, you yeah. know seven that's been run through the fucking you know shit grinder or whatever yeah. not that I don't I, they're kind of fun but that's another yeah. one where you're like where is this yeah like what is this town where it's just like yeah there's like 
1,400 warehouses this guy's just got torture devices in. Everyone who lives here is either a victim or a cop. Like, he's the most, like, like, and it's perfect. You're just like, yeah, I don't know, you know, like, whatever. That Society is degraded to this point that, like, saw can happen. I had a question about not only the city, but the timeline. Because you see that the the sloth victim was born in 1931. Did you notice this? Okay. Okay. They look so at that his would license, him... and I'm like, was that guy supposed to be 60 years old? And then and then it didn't really track to me. So I, I mean, I so I kind of like it, kind of being an ambiguous time. I mean, this is also before iPhones, I guess. Well, yeah. Okay. So that's a big thing. When whenever it whenever it was set, it's like. It feels like it's supposed to be a contemporary 90s movie, but but regardless, like this is like towards the end of when a movie that's set in a contemporary time would be fully pre-internet. And that's part of what I love about like loved about rewatching this and why I like this movie more is like there's no fucking there's no there's uh, no cell phone. There's no cell phone. There's no like like, you know. There's a little bit of a of some sort of data search, but it's through like an FBI third party. They're yeah. still going to the physical fucking library to pull books off of shelves. Um, all that's all that shoe leather plays so much so much better. Yes, the data search is Mark Boone Jr. coming back with a Manila envelope. Right, right. <laughs> Which is sorry, great. it's a little greasy. <laughs> Mark Boone Jr., an actor that David once referred to as looking like he sleeps in pizza. He sleeps, he sleeps <laughs> under a pizza. He steals a slice of pizza in this movie. Um, he does. I mean, I guess I there's also pizza. the fingerprint analysis, but that's like a very crude, like you know. Yeah, that's all. Fat, that's a hundred years old at yeah, this exactly. point. Yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. They also all dress like '40s noir detectives. Yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, Summer Somerset's little hat, right? And Pitt's like suit. You know, his yeah. They're very yes. It's all very noiry. Uh, Arlie Ermey's got the the you know vest, which is like an suit. area yeah. where the, Fincher's control of style and stylization is really important for this movie because I think a lot of directors would have tried to set it in a more realistic city. Sure. Whether or not they named it. And you kind of need that heightening of like, no, this takes place in like just kind of hell. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 And I I don't even think that it was a thing that took place in like the 80s or the 50s rather. I'm just saying it it, it, it just feels like an alt universe, which I, which, which I love. Yeah. Fincher is actually an unreliable narrator in a way because he will often downplay, I think, his own artistry. Mm-hmm. He says the rain thing was, uh, it. we had 55 days with Pitt. He was going to do 12 Monkeys right after this movie. Yeah. Uh, so we had to match everything. And it was raining when we started doing the movie. And so we were just like, it's always going to be raining. But then he says, like, but also I kind of wanted to make it not feel like L.A. because it's always sunny. You know, so like, I think he it was an artistic choice by him. But he likes to be like, mm, it's practical, you know. And it feels intentional that when it's not raining is the end of the movie. Is the fu- is John yes, Doe turning the out in the desert? Like, right. that's then he also when says sunlight, he's like, you know? if I could have put rain units in that, I would have. Mm. He was like, that was logistical. I had no right hard it, to do that. The, right. Sometimes he does. Make I think things he sound often like, is like self deprecating yeah. in a way. Right. Yeah. But that's the other wild thing. Right. Pitt had pre committed to Twelve Monkeys. And Fincher was sort of prepping this movie on like a five-month schedule out from production. And then when Fincher becomes interested, they're like, you can, or or when Pitt becomes interested, rather, they were like, you can get Pitt if you're ready to film in eight weeks. 
And he did it. They just went like rocket speed on this movie. Right. And then he has this moment, apparently. The the uh, AD, not the AD you know, Mitch. Michael can't con a different AD. Who was Bob Wagner, by the way. I was I confirmed it. That was Bob Wagner. Bob Wagner, who was, worked on Social Network, I think, and many other yep. Fincher films. But uh, Michael Kahn says, like, once they started production... He like went up to Fincher and said, look, we're here. We're doing it. We're shooting a movie. There's Morgan Freeman. There's Brad Pitt. Isn't this amazing? And Fincher's like, no, it's awful. And he's like, why is it awful? And he said, because now I have to get what's in my head out to all of you cretins. Which is, <laughs> do you don't think that's funny? No, I think that's very funny. I just read it already. <laughs> right. You already read it. That's yeah. why you shouldn't read the dossier because I, I well, can't surprise you. you shouldn't read the dossier. I, I just right. I mean, you can do the dossier. You think you about psychologically where Fincher is at this point, where I think he knows, like, if I fuck this up, I'm done. Right. Definitely. That's, that was my question to you guys. If this movie doesn't work, is it is it over for this guy? I mean, yeah. like, also in the world where, you know, like, if you have two flops, right, at this point, you're are you just but, done? I, but I think particularly for a guy who's, like, difficult, is seen as difficult and strong-headed and exacting or whatever... If, yeah. like, twice the movie doesn't turn out well, even if it's a little bit successful and the reputation is, like, he was too stubborn, he's too dark, sure. you know? There's a middle version, though. Because, like, there's... Obviously, if the movie flops, then I, his career is toast. Yeah. This movie did about as well as it possibly could. It did Correct. so incredibly well. Yes. There's a version of this movie that makes, like, $60, $70 million domestic. Yeah. And is seen as, like, yeah, that was a mild hit and it was a dark movie. Yeah. And he probably gets to make, like dark mid-budget movie. He stays movies. at this size. Yeah, like, yeah. it's like, yeah, okay, all right, Finchie, right. but now that's your lane. Yes. And it's not, I mean, that is his lane, in a way. It's not like it's, but like, he, I feel like he gets much more power because of how well this movie What's did. What's the blank over, tech like, thing we talked about where it's like, when a guy basically becomes a genre, right. right? Right. And Hollywood is so perplexed by the success of their movie that on paper shouldn't have been a hit. Yeah. And the success has to be chalked up so largely to the sensibility of the filmmaker that they were like, do your thing. Yeah. We now think your thing is popular. Yeah. We don't even know what it is. Right. Exactly. We can't define it. In your parlance, is this is guarantor? This, this movie? Is. This is absolutely. guarantor. Yeah. And then the only weird thing is that he, Fight Club is him cashing the check. Yeah. He just makes the game in between. Right. Because he kind of wants to, I guess. Well, like he's not really cashing the check, though. No, no. Like he probably could have made the game. I mean, I, and he was working on setting up the game the same time he was working I was on Seven. I going to say, right, but the know. universe you're saying where this movie does okay, yeah, he could have made the game. He probably could have made the That's game. That's like the yeah. exact lateral move he could have done. And he still just does it, I think, to do it. And yeah. I, I love that movie. But the Fight Club is him more being like, okay, guys, I know this seems impossible, but I made Seven. Yeah. So like, I can make this too. Yes. Right? Because Fight Club is impossible. Like, that script does not read like a movie that's going to work. No. We, we should, we should yeah. start Pl digging plot into the plot. Plot of seven. Okay, so there's a guy doing seven murder. Yeah. Seven murders. Seven murders. Guys, thank you for being here. Uh, yeah. Doughboys is the podcast. You know, we right. talk about chain restaurants. Oh, yeah. So check I think that we out. covered all of it. Right? Uh, yeah, so... Well, I mean, it's not like... It, it's a plotty movie in a way... But every time I watch it, I'm like, yeah, it kind of moves pretty quickly. Yeah. Like, it, the murders do not dribble out here. Like, you know, there's like three of them are basically done in the first 20 minutes. I had forgotten, because the, the opening credits of this movie are so uh, infamous. That's like something that was burned yes. into my brain as a, as, as a They're so kid. Good. And I remembered it being the cold open. Like, I remember it being New Line logo and then yes. straight into this uh, Nine sort of Nails video. tone yes. style right, setting. Right, right. Yes. It's sort of his like mission statement right. on the movie. 
I mean, he said that it's like, I, I wanted to make the opening credits really extreme to prep the audience for how far the movie could possibly go. Right. The thing I forgot is that you have the cold open of Freeman before the credits. Yeah. Which is just sort of the table setting of this guy's sort of like... He's weary. He lives in the worst city in the world. And he sees the worst people. And this was supposed to be longer, too, right? It was like he went to, like, he, he was going to go to his retirement home, and then he was going to take a train into the city. Like, there was, like, a longer thing, and they simplified it to just, like, he's at a random crime scene. If I was one week from retirement, mm -hmm. I would not take up the seven murders case. They keep on telling him not to. Arlie Armour tells him not to. I know. I would. I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't. Marsh, though, I would... thinks it's just one. You yeah, start with one. one. No, no, it's going to be seven. He thinks right he's away. in a movie called One. Yeah. And that's fine. This is the infamous one murderer. He killed <laughs> one person. Yes. <laughs> Let me at him. I'm like, ah. Um, yes. So. Uh, the the yes. opening of the movie is just a random murder, right? That we open yes, on. It's, it's not one of the seven. And it's just selling this idea of like, I, I just think his characterization is so precise in this. Of like, he's so run down and he's so weary, but nine out of 10 versions of this guy would also be like cynical, kind of grizzled in a different way. Like, you can't shock me sure. with anything. This guy still has his humanity, right? He can yeah. still be shocked by things. There's the key moment when he sees the, the kids drawing on the fridge and he says, did the kid witness the murder? Right. And they go, what the fuck? That's none of your business. That doesn't matter. Your job is to solve the crime. Don't worry about the kid. But there's something in this guy who has sacrificed his entire life to being a detective, right? Mm -hmm. Who, like, basically sabotaged the one meaningful romantic relationship he ever had in his life, has truly been married to his career. Right. There's something in this guy that's still going like, oh, fuck, is this kid going to get fucked up? Is that the crime I need to think about now? Right, is the right. long tail of this kid's psychology over the next 50 years, whether or not he was present. And everyone's saying, like, just do your job. And even when he's this close to the exit, there's something kind of holistic in his worldview. I mean, it's it's the final quote, Wags, of like, he doesn't have any faith in the world, but he still wants to fight for it. He still wants to try to be doing what he can to make the world a little less evil. Yeah, he's kind of looking forward in the sense of like, did I did, did what I do have any impact on anything? You know, right? Because he has nothing to retire to, mm -hmm. right? He steps down. It's not like, well, now I get to enjoy growing old around my grandkids, right? He's like, now I'm going to retire and I'm just going to stare at a wall for the rest of my life and wonder whether I I made any difference. And I go to sleep with a fucking metronome, Jesus, right? Because basically, like, I just imagine it's I I need something to calm my brain down. He loved that metronome. I think I think he had to go to a metronome clinic do you think he's addicted to the, the gnome <laughs> mitch one million comedy points <laughs> i'm sorry for not laughing i was just really trying to take that joke in deep into my bones oh boy i do like the idea of someone being like can i set you up with somebody's like nah, i got nomi here <laughs> she just ticks away that's all i need. my only note i found it's kind of a missed opportunity that Metrium doesn't talk. Yeah, right. Hey, Somerset, how you doing? <laughs> Good day today? How's that Mills guy? Is he going to work out? Think he's got any wrath in him? <laughs> right? Wrath. That's the one he's yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Think he's and then also at the end, he doesn't even get to retire with a metronome. Destroys it, too. That's, I know. That's brutal, actually. That's one of the most brutal deaths in the film. Yeah, it's the worst. 
Why did you hurt me? <laughs> I have a question for you guys about the opening before we go just any further because I, I wanted to ask you this. Yes. Is when I, at least when I when I when I purchased this movie on iTunes and I pushed play, it just goes right into the movie and then the opening credits. That's not normal, right? Like I didn't see any studio logos or anything. It oh, was, that's weird. Yeah. Huh. Is, is it just me? Am I, I was on Blu-ray and it had that beautiful new line clapboard. Yeah, that, the old '90s new line, yeah. not the '80s one that I love as well. But that looks like you're about to watch pornography. Am I fucking this up? I'm, I swear to God, I think that that was. The I don't case. know. I'm gonna look at my. I watched right? the blue is as the well. bar. Yeah. <laughs> you fucking debug your iPad. <laughs> um, you know what? I do think blank check is the genius bar. Wow, high praise. It's very nice. geniuses. A thing I was just thinking about uh, okay. watching this, Seven. right? The framing of this being like New Line trying to level up and be like, we're going to be a more legitimate, serious studio where they had been seen as sort of a tiny studio or a giant independent company. Right. I, have they already been acquired by Warner Brothers at the time of this movie? Uh, let's find out when the exact timeline is here. Obviously, New Line Cinema's uh, acquisition is in 1994. Okay, uh, so, so right so before yes, this. they just happened, yeah. But they started out as like a distributor for like cult movies and college campuses and stuff like that. And they were always called the house that Freddie built because right. Nightmare on Elm Street was like their big breakthrough. And they would take a lot of stuff that the studios thought too gross, too trashy. Beneath them. Yes. Ninja Turtles. You can't make a movie about Ninja Turtles. And then that was the most successful independent film ever made at that right. point in time. All this sort of stuff. And this is them trying to level up, right? Which they do with wild success. Yes. This movie is like huge for them. It, absolutely. And then like the run after this, mm. right? You have like Rush Hour, Austin Powers, Boogie Nights, American History X. Yeah. Right? Yeah. This combination of like Huge, uh, the, uh, 94 is their carry year where they have The Mask and Dumb and Dumber. Mm -hmm. But they're mm -hmm. making like some of the biggest comedies of the 90s. Yep. Rush Huge Hour and kind Bowers. Of, are, yeah. Uh, and starting franchises. Yeah. Oscary movies, right? So their 90s level up is like insane. Right. Then they make Lord of the Rings. Then they make Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Then they do this gambit where everyone's like, if you fuck this up, your studio is going under. They also did Elf. Huge. I don't know what else. That's about it. Because it's it's fucking Golden Compass brings it all That's the to thing. a crashing halt. So like right. the Lord of the Rings thing pays off better than anyone could have imagined. They're like one of the most successful film series ever. They win Best Picture for the third one. And yeah. the people are like, you know what? We were all wrong. New Line really proved themselves. Right. And, and they're like, like, great, great we're, we're going to do it again. Golden Compass. Golden Compass comes out and they're like, we're shutting you down. You're folded into Warner Brothers. Right. We just it's poured done. it into a Legacy brick wall. over. Yeah, it's a weird company. I don't know. Still exists, of course, in its way. I think even Freddy himself would be. I think the seven murders are messed up, wouldn't you? <laughs> Too twisted for me, bitch. You 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 think Freddy would be scandalized if they sent him the script for seven? Maybe I would never attach myself to something like this. Disgusting. <laughs> now this is a nightmare, bitch. But I'll attach you to it. And then he stabs the claws through right, the script yeah. to the guy. Uh, speaking of, of New Line film history, mm. I looked up the man who played uh, uh, Gluttony. Okay. 
Yes, I think Bob his name's Mack. Oh yeah, I love this. Yes. Did you you guys found this too? No, I I just I just I, when I looked him up, I saw that he was a real estate guy. That's all I saw about. It. But I don't even know. Have an odd. He wrote the songs for this Mr. T uh, a TV special that I was obsessed with when oh I was younger. Oh my god! Be somebody or be somebody's fool. Oh yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Read that on VHS and yes, an incredible time. special. So yeah. he wrote the titular song for that. He has like an That's odd wild. kind of journeyman career. This was his first uh, feature film credit. Oh my god! He has okay. So I just found the thing. David I think found you're about it. To bring I'm just up. I'm just now selling Speaking this of to Mitch. Because Mitch, you're the cinema. one who doesn't know. Speaking of the history of New Line Cinema, he has one other theatrical film credit after this, Mitch. What he what? is the on-set body double for Fat Bastard in the Spy Who. Oh shagged. my god! Yes. Yes. <laughs> He was the stand-in. <laughs> so basically, whenever Fat Bastard's in a scene with one of the other Mike Myers characters. Right. Oh, my God. He played the, he played film's biggest fat bastards. The biggest, he, he, the right. fattest bastard of the them all. The phone would ring. He'd pick it up, and he'd be like, do you want another Mr. T song? And be like, no, we have a role for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. David, in your impression. Yes. Yes. The year is nice 1997, man. 1998. Yeah, like, he called ring ring, and he, before he even says hello, he just says, "What is it? You guys want another Mr. T song?" It's been over a decade since he wrote a Mr. T song, and he's just hoping that's Mr. what they're T's asking still for around. Again. Yeah, maybe they're gonna do a follow up. They just want him to play a fat bastard. And I'm gonna slide right into that spot now. <laughs> is, is is the guy big? I thought because there's he, a lot of prosthetics, right? He, I think so he's he, definitely wearing a lot of makeup. He and was stuff. 380 at the time of filming. Pretty big. There's an Entertainment guy. Weekly article that's really good about the breakout stars of Seven and it's talking to the seven actors who play the corpses. Okay, that's pretty funny. That's, oh, that's awesome. Sure. That's good. And they all give little like kind of capsule quotes and funny things. Well, it's but, not seven because there's not seven corpses in this movie. There's you're right. five. You're right. They right? talk to the five. Yes. They talk yeah, to the five yeah, yeah. and they right, say right. we won't talk about the other two because those are spoilers. Um, but he said he was 380 on set and they added 300 pounds visually. Oh, wow. In prosthetics to try to make him closer to 700. Sure. They covered him in real cockroaches. That's cool. that I read. Right. They put stuffing in his ears and mouth so the cockroaches wouldn't uh, crawl into his orifice, okay. orifices. They did crawl into his underwear. Oh, good. <laughs> Great. And who knows what happened from there. And then uh, they put a they put a Doughboys poster on the wall. And then it was good to go. <laughs> Fincher said he felt so bad for the guy for how bad he made him look and how much he punished him on screen. Right. That, that he it was, was like, as a mitzvah. Uh-huh. He said, let's give the guy a really big hog in the autopsy scene. Oh, there yeah. you go. That's great. So that was like an apology of like, this is going to help this guy's reputation. It's when I lost my connection to the character. Still. <laughs> <laughs> Everything else for me, I was like, okay. <laughs> You're watching, you're like, this is the hero of the picture. Right? It's weird he's not talking much. He shall surely come back to life. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, all right. Plot of that Gluttony is the first yes. uh, death, right? We we're discussing this in order, I guess. Right. Uh, Somerset and Mills get together. It's like, hey, you know, someone had to eat too much. Let's go check it out. And that's, that's murder number one. And Gluttony is written on the wall. Freeman almost immediately is like, can you explain to me why the fuck you wanted to be transferred here? Right. Right, like, why would you want to work here? Right. Yeah, but it's it's the pit thing. He's got the energy of a guy who's just like, let me be a movie star. This is my big shot. It's pretty early that they have that sequence where they're talking about if they've ever fired their guns, right, in the car. Oh yeah, yeah. that's pretty. Oh, yeah. That's a really good scene. That's rad. 
where Pitt telling the story the whole time you're like, you're putting too much mustard on this mills. Yeah. Like, because Somerset saying like, I've never fired my gun and I've only drawn it thrice. Yeah. And like, you never had to shoot it. You're like, damn, that's crazy. That's so cool. And you're thinking about that. And then Mills is like, yeah, you know, I had to fire. This guy unloaded on us, shot someone in the arm, you know, and he's so nervy and manic. And you're just like, you know, not really buying it from him. Not, you know, you believe the story, but it also ties in the bleakness of just like when he's telling the story of the the of the guy he worked with who got shot and he can't remember his name. He's like, How the fuck is that guy's name? You know, it's just like right. Yeah, dude got shot in the arm and bled out, and he's and he's just like he's just trying to remember it like a detail and a random anecdote. Did Pitt kill the 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 perpetrator? Perpetrator? Did he did he kill the 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 suspect or whatever I in that situation? That he didn't because I think if he yeah, did, he, he would have fired. said he did. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He just opened fire. By the way, I I I did do some fact checking myself. Mm. Uh my iTunes version does open with a new line logo. Well, okay. And I believe right. that the Bob Mack I looked up is just a real estate guy and not related to the actor at all. So anyways. Okay. So you probably shouldn't have cold called him then, right? And said, like, <laughs> are you are you gluttony? <laughs> uh no, but yes, that scene, what you're saying, it it has the energy of like Mill, Mills is so excited to tell the story because he thinks it will make him look legit to this older cop. Yeah. That he's not clocking as Somerset tells his story. That the cooler thing is having to never have fired your gun. Right. Right? He's like, that's the ultimate flex on, uh, on Somerset's part. Yeah. And he's not even flexing. That's why it's such a good flex. Right. He's just like, oh, yeah, funny thing about me. And Mills basically yeah. isn't listening because he's like prepping his monologue he's about to deliver in his head. Right. 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 He's asking that question to right, to to tell that it's story. It's great. He has the nervous energy. And I don't even know if he's doing it, but is he like turning around in the car? Is he like, yeah, look? he's like, yeah. he he is, Somerset's yeah. sitting behind him. That's what it is. Yeah. And Pitt's in front. Yeah. Who's driving? Who's driving? Yeah, I, I think like Lundy's driving. driving. <laughs> yeah. Um, driving right, himself to so the <laughs> the next victim is greed uh-huh uh which it's pretty that's pretty short i feel like because that le leads them right to sloth like greed is just right that sort they, of didn't, they don't see gluttony written until later right, right greed right, right, is the right. first time they're seeing the word put there right uh but right it's in that big fancy office yeah. greed on the carpet but somerset basically immediately is yeah, just like a pound of flesh this is not the energy of someone who of one random killing. Right. Because first of all, everyone's going like, the guy's fat. He probably ate himself to death. His heart collapsed, whatever. There's, we're not sure this is a homicide. Right. Somerset's like, there's something intentional happening here. And not only that, he basically recognizes the signature of an artist. Yes. Right. All right. This is impressive. Right. And then he just feels like greed is, is someone's working in a style. Um. Right. And then there's a pattern. The sloth murder. Well, now you're going very fast. That's no, it goes right to that. That's what I'm saying. The first three are really fast. Right, because there's the autopsy scene where we see his his big old hog, and they also mm -hmm. like have pieces of plastic that are pulled from his intestine, right? Or from Reg, his right. Reggie Kathy uh, doing a great job there. The, the best. Yeah. yeah. He's great. And that leads um that leads uh, a Somerset back to gluttony. And that, I can't right. remember what sequencing. I think this is after they find the greed body where he goes he ends up back at yeah. gluttony. Yes. Or at, yes. at gluttony's apartment, right? Doing right. the second the round. The plastic was from the floor. Yeah. Where the dresser had basically been dragged. Uh, yeah, the, right, the, 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 the fridge, fridge yeah. the fridge, yeah. The fridge, yes. Mm. But like that kind of thing of like the plastic was fed to him. Like he's clearly 
Somerset recognizes that he's dealing with someone who knows the way a good detective is going to process the case. Yeah. Right? Right. It's such a weird, like, puzzle kind of escape room logic of, like, well, I'm leaving the, I'm feeding the plastic to him so you find it and then try to trace where the plastic came from, which means this was dragged and put back. Yeah. That's where gluttony was written. Does the dinner... There's gluttony and then there's, there's, like, the letter on the wall too, right? Yes. The dinner is after Sloth. Okay, that was my question. No, it's like, because I feel like it's like once they go to Sloth, yeah, that's when they're like, okay. This is a franchise. This guy's going to do. Right. This is, we now understand this concept. Somerset's like, this is the seven deadly sins. Uh, And the Sloth sequence is just so nasty. It's nasty. It's nasty. Nasty. Um, It is nasty. Fucking nasty. Yeah. That sequence where... uh, Somerset is explaining the pattern, right? Mm-hmm. And laying it all out and being like, these are three sins. This guy's going to do it four more times. Uh, there's a really good uh, uh, Every Frame a painting. Every Frame painting, yeah, yes. sure. Yes, yeah. video from, from years and years ago mm-hmm. about the way Fincher does uh, dialogue scenes and how he constructs his coverage to uh, tell you who's winning a scene, mm. that there's never sort of like meaningless coverage. And you do watch the evolution of all the scenes, especially the scenes with Arlie Ermey and the two of them. Uh, And he really breaks down how there's an arc to basically Mills trying to enter himself into those conversations. Mm. Right, right, right. That first one is really Ermey and Freeman talking to each other. And And Pitt's in the background. The coverage is done from in between Ermey and Freeman. And Pitt's like struggling to get in there. Right. And as the movie goes on, the whole thing kind of shifts to them finally becoming equals and partners. Right. It's sort of after the dinner that they are more of a unit. And before then, it's, you know, Pitt's also just annoying in all the crime scenes. Yes. He's got this, like, irritating kind of know-it-all attitude, even though it's like, none of these crime scenes are ones you'd walk in and be like, classic guy, yeah, you right. know, gluttony <laughs> situation. This happens all the time. I'm, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. But he has that attitude. And, and what leads him to sloth is another what you're saying earlier, Griffin. It's like the more of the the clue, the breadcrumb trails he's left for them, which is like, you know, they I, this is a thing. Another thing that a kid told me about, which is like they used his severed hand to like put a fucking handprint on the wall. And then like, you know, a bit. But it's behind the painting and the, the wife is the widow. Is right. seen. The, the lore right. of yeah. like all of the murders. I feel like the, like that was a thing that was talked about so much between my friends and I. And yeah. Like, what it meant when what each sin sin meant and like why they were tortured the way they were and like I remember like breaking down sloth it's like sloth is like you're lazy or whatever yeah. and then like they took a picture of the guy each day like you heard so much of that right. shit on the playground it's the hand he used to jack off with you jack off the seven <laughs> man's gonna get you that was like the that was a, that was, that what was what's going thing. around it was like bloody mary yeah <laughs> now sloth he's also like a drug dealer and a pedophile right that's what they say yeah, yeah like. But acquitted, by the way. I was making a fucking spacey joke. Well, sure. I mean, you didn't have to say you were making a spacey (laughs) joke, but now we have to once again say that anything about uh, him is alleged, I guess. I'm just worried he's going to sue us. You're worried he's going to sue you? That man is very online. (laughs) Have you seen his YouTube account? I'm just like, getting sued by him would be like a a spa day. (laughs) And let me tell you. That's the best case scenario. (laughs) 
The guy's winning cases too for it's whatever true. reason. Left and right. This guy's got fucking Clarence Darrow on the case. You know whoever, and also Kevin Spacey has played Clarence Darrow oh, in fuck. a movie. Um, <laughs> it, it's I, it's a real shame that Spacey didn't represent himself in court. That would have been the performance of a lifetime. Yes, Jesus Christ! All right, look. Here's what I want to say. You, you go ahead. To Weiger's point. Okay. We're building off each other here. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it, it's that thing of like what John Doe gets to later in in the film of like. He's got this self-aggrandizing thing of just like, I'm the best serial killer of all time. Like, this is going to be the Wikipedia entry that everyone reads for centuries, right? The intentionality of what I did, where he's just like getting off on the cat and mouse game part of it. So it's like they go and speak to the wife of Greed. She looks at the photos of the crime scene. She notices that the painting in the background is upside down. Right. It's the thing, I don't remember if it's before this or after this, when, like, Freeman is sort of trying to train Pitt. And he says, like, you have to find the one detail that no one else would pick up on. Yes, right. That's always the thing that's going to help you crack the case, is the one detail that feels like it doesn't matter that everyone else would miss, right? And the painting is such a perfect example. Why is the painting upside down? That's so bizarre. That can't be for no reason. And then that great scene of them going and being like, well, here, we're going to solve the mystery. Take the painting off the wall. Fuck. Nothing. Right. Oh, the wrapping in the back of the painting. If we cut it open, there'll be the answer. Fuck, nothing. And like Pitt's ready to give up. And Freeman's like, there's no way it doesn't mean something. Yeah. They I just have to keep have on hat. hitting it until yeah, yeah. like, right, the, it, the fingerprints show up. And even then, it's not a clear clue, but they know like something's leading them to this painting. Right. And the painting's going to lead them to the next thing. I love that detail that that Spacey, the seven killer, like chain, like on the back of the of the painting, he cha- he like changed the screws so that it would hang up in the in the correct way. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. That's great. Right, right. This this God, guy this guy's messing with screws. He's truly depraved. <laughs> <laughs> I think you might have I mean, a screw this, loose. This <laughs> hey, movie, hey, like, hey, it's like many a noir and like the Batman, which is like you know a Batman version of this movie. I had not seen this movie since seeing the Batman. Right, and it is absolutely absurd. I had forgotten just how indebted the it's Batman is to Highly everything. indebted. Uh, the fucking handwriting in to, this To film. much of Fincher, but mostly this. Yes, right. mostly this. I feel like Morgan Freeman would have figured out who the Riddler was like almost instantly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, Jeffrey yes. Wright. Jeffrey Wright really does get kind of screwed over. But both movies are, both this and the Batman are about, they are detectives and they are figuring clues out, but they are being led on a path. This, like, is, yeah, this right. is the thing I... I strongly dislike about the Batman. Sure. A movie we've already uh, devoted an entire Patreon episode to. Right. A movie I love on vibes. Good vibes, sure. And I think the fundamental failing of that movie is it's three hours long and he's a terrible detective. Yes. Right, yeah. Like, because the audience should not, like, the the ideal is the audience should not get ahead of it. Like, no. and, and, and even this, like I, I noticed in this scene and I, I don't know how intentional this was. It feels like it's intentional, but like the way that, 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 uh, that shot, that scene is shot where they're pulling the picture off the wall, the whole time it's framed where there's another painting in the background and it's kind of like a yeah. visual red herring. I feel like for the viewers, kind of like a misdirect of like, oh, maybe that's the, maybe it's the, they're investigating the wrong painting, but it's not that like, it's like this film I think is so good at. At, at at parceling out information in such a way where you don't ever anticipate what the next move is. And then the other thing it does, and, and to just to skip ahead a little bit, but one thing I love about the script is that they break his fucking uh, plan. 
because of because of you know uh somerset's insight of like we can we can see which books he checked out we can find out who this guy is and they go to his apartment and now they interrupt his fucking trail of breadcrumbs that he set up and that drives him like almost mad yeah i love that i i I also think that the riddler is a bad as bad as batman is as a detective the Riddler is a bad serial killer in the Batman. Like, like uh, his his clues I are. I like the Riddler, easy. and I think he has some interesting ideas. Uh, I don't. I don't know if you guys heard him on Rogan. No, but he's no. He actually he makes some interesting points. Um, no, I just I feel like that's a movie where I'm an idiot and I feel an hour ahead of Batman. Whereas this yeah. is a movie where even rewatching it, I struggle to remember. Like, right? How do they figure that out? Sure. And it's a movie that really does actually impress you in watching the investigative skills of its characters. I mean, this movie's also an hour shorter than Batman, and that is my main note, as is yours, about the Batman, which is, I wouldn't think about it as hard if it wasn't so goddamn long. Yes. Like, you know. But but I also think, like, the Riddler in Batman, what's his ideology? He wants to expose corruption, I suppose, but he's really crazy. He hates Nepo babies. He hates a Nepo baby. Yeah. And, he uh, wrote the New York Magazine article. Like, John Doe, obviously, uh, all right, so the gluttony guy, he's being punished for his gluttony. Uh-huh. Fine. The greed guy is rich. Mm-hmm. The sloth guy is the one where it actually doesn't, there's no poeticism to it. He's a bad person yes. who's been given a horrible punishment, but they don't really seem to interact, right? Mm. Like, he's not slothful. He's a drug addict, right? Like, is that a part yeah. of the That's, that's I the guess. argument. The guy I spends guess. a lot of time in bed, zonked sure. out on, right. on drugs, but, uh, on the wacky Jesus juice. Jesus Christ, what? Yeah. Oh, this I'm, guy, I'm coming around. This guy's so whipped out of his mind on reefer. They make it clear that he's a, a pothead, yes, right? He, he likes, yeah, the wacky <laughs> tobacco, sure. He's ODing on pot left and right. I wonder how long it would take me to be upset if if the seven killer tried to get me for sloth. If I was just like, he's like he tied me to a bed, I'd be like, all right. I think I'd just be fine <laughs> with it for a while. Also, you're like, also, that's in? All right. Okay. okay. <laughs> I just, I imagine John Doe breaking into your house and you being like, if we can relocate this to Quincy, I'm down. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I just Which don't want to do it in L.A. I feel like he'd be he'd 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 be, he'd be hard pressed to figure out which sin to get me for. <laughs> well, so he'd have a heart attack before he made it up all your stairs. Mitch, let's be clear. <laughs> the guy's in okay shape, but there are only so many flights a man can walk up before his heart gives out. He comes in and you've got a plate of spaghetti you're already eating. <laughs> I'm passed out in the spaghetti. Oh shit. <laughs> Um, by the way, the sloth, an a- we got a true alien of uh, alien chestburster moment. Oh yeah, with the sloth that he didn't, they didn't they tell, didn't they die. didn't tell him that he was going to have a reaction. I the, didn't know that. Yeah yeah, 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 which is cool. It's such a good jump scare in that right. it's not accompanied by any music no. or sting. Like you know, it's just him being alive. You're like, this is a skeleton. Yes. Yeah. Like I, this is a dead person. Yeah. And so it's, it's, you know, it's, it still gets me to this day. And it comes alive in like the, like just a way where it's just like, (gasps) it's like not even like a, it is kind of a jump scare, of course, but it's not like, it's just a man gasping for breath. Uh, uh, McGinley, John C. McGinley Mm -hmm. is a a very well established character actor at this point in time. He's got very high billing on this movie. His name's on the poster and everything. Pretty hot year for him. Isn't this office space? 
Yeah. Oh, is that 95? Well, no, 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 no. Office Space is 99. Oh, it's Office later. Space okay, is late. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, he was always hot. He was always hot. He, he was, was always hot. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's one of those fascinating performances where you're like, oh, he's like fifth build. He's a really well-established guy. You rarely see his face in this movie. He's yeah. in a lot of scenes and you forget that you he's You forget in like, yeah. oh, it's still, they make him sort of the main SWAT guy anytime there's a SWAT team. Right. But the nature of the role is that he's usually in very frantic scenes, holding a gun in front of his face, wearing a mask or like in quickly cut sequences where you're never really seeing him, where you're like, this guy was on set a lot for a performance that a lot of people could watch and not ever realize that was him. Yeah. He's in The Rock the year after, and he's in... Like, he did a lot of this around now. A lot of, like, guys with machine guns. Yeah. Before I feel like Office Space moves him into the, uh, you know, boss territory. There, there's the infamous story that when they wrote the pilot script for Scrubs, his character in the script said, think a John C. McGinley type. Right, 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 right. And uh, a bunch of John C. McGinley's friends reached out to him and they were like, hey, so are you doing this or what? Right. And he was like, what do you mean? They're like, I got sent a breakdown to read for this thing in the script that says a John C. McGinley type. So I'm just, before I go in for it, I assume you passed. And he was like, no, no one fucking got me an appointment for this. Wow. Casting didn't want to see him. They do that to actors all the time. Like actors who have yeah. broken right. through and they're like this type. And it's like, just hire that person. Hire the fucking person. He's available. Right. right. And he was That's like, I basically awesome. had to beg to get a read. Um, and it's also insane to me that he is a gun guy early on. Cause I just don't even think of him. Was he like a former military man or something? I, I don't understand why he is like put in these military roles or like this in the rock. And, and Platoon, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He's a big, intense guy. I but think I, that's I, just yeah. it. He early on was playing that kind of stuff, and that's what he starts being cast as. But no, he went to Syracuse University, and then Tisch, mm. the New York University School of the Arts, Griffin. Oh, I'm familiar. They're not the military. They are They're not. They're not associated <laughs> with the U.S. military in any way. <laughs> that I know of. Um, it's harder. It's harder than uh, of course. Tour. Yeah, it's more. <laughs> it's a. It's a more difficult boot camp. Yes. But yeah, like Platoon is kind of his first major role. Yeah. And then yeah, like he's in he's in a lot of Oliver Stone movies. Mm -hmm. He's in Point Break. He's so good in Point oh, Break. Oh fuck. He's he's a uh, really flame like special, him. right? Yeah. yeah. Griff, have you ever heard that they're looking they're looking for a Griffin Newman type, and and not had the audition for it or like them uh, been like I'm sure it's happened. You know what has happened? Uh, I, I've been sent like a lookbook where my picture is used. That's that's oh, wild. You know, when like people are doing like really? very low budget things mm -hmm. or short films or whatever, they don't have previous work to show. So they put together like a 20 page like, yeah, right. here are images of what like I want this. to look like. And then they'll have these sort of character breakdowns where they use photos of different actors in movies that are sort of a similar type. And I've I've gotten sent those sometimes for like things where they're interested in me and sometimes other people going up for them in the, in the same way. They're like, did you ever have you had that happen, Mitch? I heard that for this movie, for Gluttony, they said a Mike Mitchell type, but <laughs> I. And you were like 13. I know. At the time. I mean, that's, I'm like, Jesus, they really did their research on me. <laughs> Figure out thirteen year old me was a good type for glut. Think Mike Mitchell in twenty five years. <laughs> I, I've I've heard things like that before, like where where people like they like said they wanted a U type, but I never I'm not I'm not sure the you know how valid that was, well, and also probably like, much smaller projects. Yeah. When when people have sent me like the the lookbook things and my face is included, sometimes I don't even think like oh this person who put this together 
is a fan of something I did. I feel like they just Googled like cuck with glasses <laughs> and they grabbed the first five. <laughs> I'm like, I don't take this as any compliment. I'm like, maybe this is just, it's a cheap image to license. Handsome man with glasses. Yeah, shut the fuck up. Um, what were you going to say? Were you gonna I, make I fun gonna, of me? No, I wasn't going to make fun of you. I was going to say the thing that I remember where you were part of a tableau unexpectedly was something someone sent me which was someone had put together like an Instagram story that was like the hottest big men of all time. And there was like, in the back, I was like, I need a big boy. It was like, the, that song was playing. And like, it was just, you know, it was going through a bunch of different like famous actors and then it gets to you. And I was like, oh, all right. I felt very proud of you, <laughs> which is looking good. Which also is insane that they got to me in that, the big actors of all time. Yeah, how make... long is that song? <laughs> This is like 45 minutes into it. Okay. <laughs> I want to talk about the dinner scene. Yes. Yeah, so the next scene is the dinner scene. Uh, do you like that they live underneath the railroad? I, I like all the details. It's of so it. funny. It's great. Me it's too. the funniest part. I think it is like at this point in the movie, it's like this is the wet, the zaniest thing that happens in the movie. Is their house well, like also, truly shaking like crazy? I think this is the true artist pre of this screenplay, right? The sequel, or secret artistry of like, A, the fact, as, as I was saying, Andrew Kevin Walker, I think, relates to the Paltrow character more than anyone else makes her not feel like a plot functionary. Right, right. Where it's like, this character exists for the sake of the reversal, right? Not the reversal, the twist at the end. Yeah, yeah. And it'd be so easy in most versions of this film to, the moment this character's introduced, go like, she's fucking dead meat. 100%. There's no reason she's included. Why are unless we meeting this character? Something, right, 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 right. That feeling in thrillers like this, yeah. where it's really tough to introduce a character and not have them feel like there's a target on their head from the beginning. Otherwise, right. why are we even spending any time with them, right? right. And these, these scenes are so well-written and charming mm -hmm. and have such a weird level of like character to them between yeah. the apartment, between the way she calls at the office, asks Pitt to hand the phone to Somerset, Somerset accepts the supper invitation, you know, where you're just like, maybe this is just they needed comic relief. Maybe this is just like a little glimpse of light. It doesn't make you feel like she's a target because she's so much more realized and specific than most of these things are. And then even just down to the apartment where they say the thing about like, every time we came to look at the apartment, they would only let us see it for five minutes at a time. Right. It's such a funny good, detail. Good, good joke. Right, because it also serves as like characterization, you know, yes. and 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 it like kind of informs like Pitt's character as like a human being. And so like if you're just watching this movie cold and and I do think that honestly this movie plays better watching it a, a, a second time. I think this is one of those those twist movies that like just knowing everything going in, it just uh, all that stuff hits more with more intensity. Um, but like it, yeah, it, it, to, to your exact point, it's like it, that just seems like it's serving as like, you know, as like characterization. Uh, you don't, it, it, it's how, it's how well structured it is. Like you aren't getting ahead and being like, okay, she's going to be the last victim. You aren't already anticipating No, they do that. such a good job yeah. of balancing that with her, just the, or like her screen time and what her character is. And, and, and I would love, I would love to see this movie without in my mind, I've always known that her head was in the box forever, even probably from the playground. Same. I know what you mean. It's hard to remember not knowing. That. I, yeah, I definitely yes. did not know that the first time I saw it. See, I don't know. I think I probably I, 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 I don't I know a world where I didn't know. I maybe didn't the first time I watched it, but I don't I think that I did. But I would love I would love to have watched this as an adult, not knowing it. And if I would be surprised by it. I think I would. I think that it's a surprising ending. Yeah, I, for sure. Yeah. Well, just especially it's a bit of a surprise, it's especially, especially for because one character. The, the amount of energy they put into making her feel like a real person yeah. 
the yeah. longer that goes on, the more you think, well, they couldn't possibly decapitate her and right. put it yes. in a box. You know, where you're like, that speaks to the fundamental darkness of the script that everyone reacted to so strongly. Of just like, you can't do that. You can do that. Jason Voorhees can do that to a character who has been on screen for only two minutes. You know, like these are the rules of these types of movies is you can introduce a character and make them so awful or so silly that no one's actually going to feel bad if they die. But you can't hire like an actress who's like a major star on the rise, give her like 15 minutes of scenes that have some real weight and charm to them and then do the worst thing imaginable yeah. to her. Yeah. Don't you feel, though, that when later she reveals her pregnancy to Somerset, and That's his reaction, yeah. his reaction is our reaction, which is like, no, yes. then you're truly fucked. Like that, that, that you have that kind of reaction mm. of like, now the loss of you would be so profound. Not that yes. it wouldn't be profound before that like there's, I don't know, a tragic air like settling around her. But like Mitch, I, you know, I never had the luxury of watching this movie without knowing where it's going. Right. Me neither. I and I was trying to do the, the hypothetical exercise watching it this time. I'm like, if I'm watching this cold in the theater and no one's told me anything, and I'm with my stupid brain, I'm like trying to figure out the story math of this. Mm -hmm. Like, why is he making this choice as a screenwriter? What would this be setting up for later? I do think maybe I assume the more conventional arc is now that Somerset knows this, the end goal of this movie is for him to convince Pitt to leave the force. Yeah, sure. Right. Like, don't, whatever you think you're doing here, it's not going to. The reason to disclose that information, I'm like, maybe the tragic ending of this movie is. He convinces Pitt to retire and he re-ups. He doesn't leave the force or whatever it is. Yeah, it's would, sort of this cautionary tale of a guy. Right. right yeah. But like like Somerset was too deep in. There was no getting out. He was able to save the soul of this guy and give him an out and have a family and all that sort of shit. But yeah, the dinner scene is so good. Freeman is doing this thing with the napkin. They were, like, talking to him at dinner and, like, Paltrow's grilling him more and asking him about why he never married. And he's sort of dodging the question. And he's, like, playing with his napkin and he's, like, tying it around his hand like he's a little child. Right. And it's so disarming mm. where you just feel like, oh, no one's actually invited this guy out socially like this in possibly two decades. Absolutely. Yeah. That is a good call. He has not had a social life at all, except with Nomi. <laughs> Of course, uh -huh. right. His his best bud, his metronome. But right. that's a roommate. No, but I think that's he, a life. Partner. I think he might bring it to like a Chinese restaurant and just sort of set it down and On eat Christmas. some dumplings. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but that's um, what I love. He's or like, what if so... he brought it to this dinner and he was just, do you mind if I? <laughs> Puts it on a chair <laughs> next to me. Can I bring my spouse? It's like a Lars in the <laughs> real girl situation. Do we have to pretend like this is a human being? Uh, no, I just like that there's something very like childlike and awkward about him. Yeah. Uh, you know, he tries to brush off the invitation. Yeah, right, right. right. And, and then once he's there, he kind of loves like, yeah. Being normal. Like, because yeah. he's so good at being normal when in a crime scene where a man ate too much spaghetti and right. got kicked in the tummy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, he is reacting to that. Like, Pitt reacts to that by going, like, ew, and, like, going, Bleh! like, yeah. yeah. Somerset is, like, pretty cool and collected in all of this because that's that's his job, right? He's become so good at, like, the waves crash against him, and he's, like, you know, yeah. like, whatever. But that's different from, like, sitting at dinner and having someone go, like, so, are you <laughs> seeing anybody? I mean, Gwyneth Paltrow, <laughs> circa 1995. Oh, God. Press you for goss. Yes. Who, what, who could resist John Doe? He, he says he's, he likes it. 
Paltrow, That's why he puts her head in a box. Paltrow is just so fascinating as a cultural figure, right? Um, you mean like the totality of her cultural, like you know, including like Goop? Yes. We do a, all endorsing of it, the Rick whole Caruso thing. for mayor. I I think it's did so, she endorse Rick Caruso? She did. Yeah. Wow. Mm. She said, I, "I'm Gwyneth from L.A. and I'm voting for Rick." Yeah. He would have made the Seven City look like <laughs> the Grove. <laughs> I think there are a lot of actresses of her era who came in with like a lot of hype, right? Sure. And we're sort of like, who are you I, thinking of? Like Julia Ormond. Sure. Gretchen, Gretchen Maul. Maul. Yes. Um, or even you, you come to someone like Mira Sorvino, mm -hmm. who like got an Oscar very young and then kind of could never top that or whatever right. it is, it right? Kneecapped by Mr. Weinstein, right. of course. Yeah. Yes. But, but no, but no, but you're still you're absolutely. Yeah. I, I, none of these people are direct analogs, but they're all in this similar sphere, right? Right. Where you're like, on paper, she's someone who either that should be the beginning of her having like a Jodie Foster-like career mm -hmm. or she's like, oh, isn't that weird that Gwyneth Paltrow won the Oscar when she was like 28 and then her career completely tapered off? And instead you're like, this is someone who's going to be wildly famous until the day she dies. But what she represents now is so bizarrely different. Yes. And she is such an odd figure that I fall into the trap of being like, was she ever a good actress? Like, am I going to rewatch her performances and find that they're bullshit? Because I do think there's certain people, I don't want to take stray shots of people who we don't need to, right? Mm. But there's certain actresses who I feel like had the heat. And then you watch the performances 20 years later and you're like, I see a couple tricks going on here. But in retrospect, it was kind of clear they didn't have a lot of depth, right? Mm -hmm. They right, had right. like a couple like they tricks. Had, they, they were good on camera. They were, they were right. There was right so place, beautiful. right time. But there was not a sustainable like craft here. Yeah. And then you watch Paltrow anytime she's good in something and you're like, holy fucking shit. When she was locked in, she's yeah. locked in. And she can still choose to be locked in. It's been a while. Yeah. But she, then anytime she, she, she tries. Yeah. And like Contagion, she's got a very small part, but you're like, She's fucking acting. I think that's the last time, though. I mean, I enjoy her in the Marvel movies sometimes, obviously, and then there are others where you're like, right. I can tell that you don't remember you were in but this. the three proper Iron Man movies, she's fantastic in. Um, Royal Tannenbaum, she is fantastic in. Well, Two Lovers as well. Two Lovers, I mean, she's incredible in. performance from her. That, that dinner scene to me is just a really, it's the moment where I wrote, I wrote down just, just a really sweet, it is just this, I think this may be the sweetest scene in the, in the movie. She's and so what fucking about the, um, good. the gluttony murder? That's not sweet. That's, I thought you? that was pretty sweet too. <laughs> okay, right, right. I mean, I thought it was like, that's sweet. Like, I, like you know, in the different top way. 10 sweet scenes in seven. <laughs> uh, no, yeah. It's, it, and it's a real spoonful of honey in a movie that you kind of are desperate for, like any kind of normal human interaction. It is weird that she lights one of the her goop vagina candles in that she scene does. though too. Yeah, it's broken, but yeah, right. She gives. But they show it. Up they show it up close, but yeah, it's not directly referenced in dialogue. Uh, the things I love in that scene is is first off just just talking about how unprepared they they are for the city. The the dogs who are way too fucking big yeah. for a modest apartment yeah. in a city. Calls it's them just like kids. Great. Yeah, calls them her kids, and then also the um. Uh, the other thing is like there's a moment where and it just you know he's Brad Pitt's character is almost cartoonishly dumb in this but there's a moment where but but it, it all works uh, there's a moment where Morgan Freeman uh, asks for a glass of wine and he brings him like a fucking tumbler of wine oh, yeah and it's just it's kind of unspoken and 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 Somerset just like looks at it at a certain point but that's it but it's just like I don't know I I, I love that shit it's good and they're like high school sweethearts 
Yes, I, 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 you do feel that vibe of like they're, they, they, the two of them work well together in, in the movie. I think there's just a moment where he like gets into bed with her and he's like, I love you. And it like works extremely yeah. well for whatever reason. Um, but the, Did you that, write that was sweet in your notes? I wrote I, that was another sweet. That's yeah, one okay. of my other sweet moments. Um, but the, 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 the earthquake set, they use that to trick mm. people that came, they, the people who visited set. The, oh, really? The apartment, they'd like shake oh, it yeah. and make oh, it. Like they'd be like, oh, break. take a look at this set. And they'd be like, turn it on. Fuck with exacts. Right. Yeah. That's fun. Have the money fall out of their pockets. Yeah. Right after that is the conversation between um, Somerset or, you know, pretty yeah. close to that. Between so Somerset said, and Tracy. Yeah. Freeman's reaction to her saying yeah. she's pregnant is the moment his performance that kills me. The moment in her performance that kills me, I think it's just such a good choice and such mm-hmm. an honest reaction is he, he gives his whole spiel about... Uh, him and his ex-partner aborting the child that they had. And he has that, like, heartbreaking line where he says, like, I think, no, I know. I know it was the right decision. There's not a day that I goes by that I don't regret it. Mm. And then he sort of gives his advice to her in that sort of, like, Freeman authority way, right? In the voice of God way where you're just, like, anything this guy says in this position is going to hold so much weight and just like, look, whatever you decide to do, if you have that kid, like, you know, move far away. If you decide not to keep it, never, ever tell him. And then he says, and it's sort of like this intensity of her sitting there and like sort of clenching her tears, knowing the weight of what's being said, but trying to like maintain composure to diner. And then he says, uh, and just promise me, if you have that kid, you spoil it every single day of its life. And it's him making the joke to cut the tension. Right. And Paltrow's decision as an actor is that's the thing that finally breaks her down and makes her cry. Rather than laughing, it's like the empathy of that moment is the thing that's finally too heartbreaking for her to take. It is heartbreaking. Yeah. It, it's it's the acknowledging the reality of the situation, but also the fact that he is being that thoughtful in the moment is the thing that finally breaks down her guard. And she like loses it and then smiles to sort of acknowledge like that's a sweet thing to say. But at first, it's just like this is too fucking sad. She's so good in that. She's in so good. And she's so good. I think I mean I love 90s Paltrow. I mean, yeah. she's so good in Emma. She's so good in Shakespeare. Uh she's great in Sliding Doors. She's great in Ripley. Mm-hmm. And then I Tenenbaums, after Tenenbaums, I feel like she got lost doing too much sort of sort of treacly dramatic stuff like Sylvia and Proof and like these movies where yes. it's like She's angling for another Oscar nom, and why? You know what I mean? Like she couldn't it felt quite. Like she was getting like Nicole Kidman runoff parts, yeah. which is not what she should have been doing. And then after that, of course, it's just like two lovers and Iron Man come out in the same year, and it's like you know the road not taken is two lovers. Like Iron Man is just like great. Now you just well, do she this. also she entered the world of uh, hard science. You're forgetting that she changed her whole perspective and tried to focus on products that absolutely been backed up by serious health commissions. <laughs> okay, right. Yes, absolutely. Yep. Also, she uh, was married to Mordecai. Yes. Don't forget that. Yeah. Have you guys ever seen Mordecai? No, I have not. It's on my list. It's at the top of my list. So (laughs) do you know the thing in Mordecai, a movie that I contend is actually impossible to watch, like physically impossible to sit through without fast forwarding. Even when you would go to see it in a movie theater, the projector would be like, don't worry, I'm hurrying it up. I'm hurrying it up. <laughs> We're not going to play this. It's the only movie that was projected at 2x speed. Yeah, right. The guy's just cranking it First real hard. Run. Yeah. <laughs> so the hands are on fire. Um, he, more, uh, Gwen Paltrow is Mordecai's wife in that film, right? Mordecai, he of the poster and the silly comedy mustache. Yes. Right. The beginning of the film, she's been away on some trip 
She comes home and he goes, honey, you won't believe what happened while you were gone. And he turns around and reveals that he's grown the mustache while she was gone. And she sees the mustache and pukes in her mouth. And uh-huh. the runner for the rest of the film is that she hates the mustache so up. fucking much. And every time he tries to kiss her, she pukes. Right. That sounds good as yeah, hell. Yeah, you're trying to, trying to get us not to watch this <laughs> yeah, we movie? like it. What are you talking about? <laughs> we like it. I just like that even in the movie Mordecai, Mordecai's wife is like, we're really going to build the whole movie around this guy and he's going to have the mustache the whole time. That's really funny. Uh, yeah, isn't, well, there, how, isn't there a character named Jock Strap in that movie? Yes. Yes, I believe that's Paul Bettany's character. I believe so, too. That's he's he's uh, Mordecai's body, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what led to all the Johnny Depp, Johnny Depp, Paul Bettany texts, right? Yes. Yeah, anyway. Um, okay. Uh, they check out books. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, sorry, they check out who's checking out Seven Deadly Sins books. That's what gets them to well, the Well, Somerset gives Mills the reading list. Right. Mills goes and gets the cliff notes because the books are making his brain hurt. Yes. Right, no one right, must right. know what, no one, young people just don't know what cliff's notes are anymore, right? That's just like no, you would just even, look up a Wikipedia summary. Even though it's one of the best jokes in Clueless. Does that mean that joke doesn't work anymore? Probably. When she says, she gives the Shakespeare quote. Yeah. And then she's like, that's such a good quote. Where'd you get it? And she says, Cliff Notes. It's really funny. That doesn't mean anything to anyone anymore. I don't think so. That's no, too bad. I remember when the first time I found out about Cliff Notes, there was probably someone making a joke to me. And I was like, wait, what do you mean? What are you talking about? And they were like, well, they sell these books that are like 50 pages and they just like dumb down the thing you're supposed to read for school. Right. So you can write a paper on it. Right. And I was like, and where do you get them? Back alleys? You have to know a guy. <laughs> And they were like, Barnes and Noble. And I was like, this is legal? <laughs> it is in black market. Do I have to show my ID? Do they not sell them if you're underage? And they're like, no, they let you. It's just wild. Everyone was conspiring to help us cheat for so long. As long as I you paid. It. I got them. Uh, I, had, I had a couple of plus notes. I do like that they're yellow, though, to be kind of like cheat. You know, like they're, yeah. they're kind of like radioactive. Yeah. Like you can't like put them on a shelf and like not see them. You know that John Waters quote about like if someone brings you home and they they don't have any books on their shelves, right. don't sleep with them or whatever. What, sure. if, what if you meet someone at a bar and you and go back to their place and clips. only cliff notes? That's what we call the yellow shelf. I'm a fan of the classics. You, you at least do hand stuff with them, right? I would do hand stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's the thing. You would do that's a cliff note set, <laughs> you would do cliff which is a hand job. <laughs> um, <laughs> and maybe even a hand job where like halfway and you're kind of like, do you want to wrap this up? Like, yeah. do you want, I can hand this over to you. Are we bored? <laughs> <laughs> um, wait, fuck. Oh, isn't By the there, way, I'm going to put together a bookshelf today. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize this quote. (laughs) John Waters heard about your ass. Um, uh, Mitch assembles a bookshelf, just puts one Kindle on. Nick, there's some (laughs) video game where if you cheat, then everyone in the game calls you cheater. I can't remember what game it is now. Oh, yes. Where it's like, hello, cheater, if Mm. you do a cheat. That's sort of what. Cool. It's some some Sierra point and click adventure or something. Something like that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, all right. So then, yeah, there's the whole sequence, that, the one action sequence in the movie, them Shades. chasing him through the rain, right. you know. It's so uh, fucking that's, good. That's so good. It's so cool. That's when Pitt breaks his arm. Yeah, right? Pitt, Pitt, Pitt genuinely back. broke his arm. Right. And they had to write it into the movie. Yeah. Yeah. In the commentary, they say that, like, Pitt says, and I think Venture is being modest, but Pitt's like, Pitt's like, basically, none of that is in, and they're very, very complimentary of Andrew Kevin Walker's script, but they're basically, mm-hmm. no, none of the chase sequences in the script. That was all like Venture, like, figuring it out. Uh, and it is like it's awesome. It's extended. The other thing is like there's such a great sense of space in it, 
and then and and then another element is like it's not it's not a linear pursuit. It's like they're keep they're keeping moments of like where the fuck is this guy? Like they're trying to find him. And he's not sure. He gets surprised by him. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just really. Oh yeah, that's right. They, they they were they were so sick of chase sequences where you were like, oh, he's seeing where the guy went. Yeah, exactly. And following yeah. him, and then this they wanted to have it be like you're losing track of this guy. He really could be around any corner, and Pitt is playing it that way. Yeah. Can you make out Spacey at all in this sequence? Like, is it definitely him, or is there a chance some of this is great question? Double or different actor? It must be somewhat of a double, right? He is the crime scene photographer earlier in the movie. There's that because when they go to his Easter egg of him, right? Um, But when they go and find the photos and Pitt puts it together, if you look back at that scene, it is Spacey wearing a wig, doing a voice. It's like Spacey doing a mad TV audition. Yeah, I, I think that I, if, I, if you were a detective, right. and you'd be like, that guy's weird. We, yeah. we, like, we should maybe like this guy for being find weird. Crime scene photographer's weird, possibly. Yeah, but you'd be yeah. like, this guy's doing too much business. There's <laughs> there's a little too much going on. Um, he's overselling it. Um, yeah, but I do like that he's in there early. I mean, this is obviously, this is one of the infamous things about this movie is Spacey has already shot Swimming with Sharks, Outbreak, and usual suspects. Yeah. Hence his quote, as I said, had gotten higher despite the movie's not coming out. He reads this part. They finally come back around to it and go, we'll meet your quote. Want to offer it to you. And his contractual demand is, don't credit me in the movie. Don't put me in the opening credits. Certainly not in the opening. He's in the closing credits, I believe. Twice. Right, but not in the opening that credits. That was the makeup. Right, right, right. Yeah. right. Uh, but don't put me on the poster. None of that. And they went like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he said, if any of these three movies I've shot that are in the can blow up, which they might more so than anything I've done before up until now, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be a much bigger name by the time this movie comes out. And if there are three names on the poster, they spend the first half of this movie, hour plus, looking for the guy, and you never see his face. Mm Mm-hmm. Everyone's going to go, well, Kevin Spacey's going to be the He's guy. in the credits. Right, like, yeah. anyone who's heard of him will be like, yeah, he's coming. Right. right. So it's one of the few examples of, like, movie billing actually working to support the plot. It adds to the mystique of this performance in this film, I Absolutely. Think. Like, I think it was a thing you would know as a young person. Like, did you know, like, Spacey's not... You know, like, that right. was, like, a little trivia fact. And especially fact. when that year is him just kind of, like, growing his reputation to have him just show up in the last 40 minutes. Because right. it's also... It's such a brilliant... Um, structural move. I mean, that's a thing like Fincher talks about. He reads the script. He's on like page five. He's like, it's a fucking buddy cop movie. I don't want to do this fucking thing. I mean, he's getting lethal weapon vibes. Like you said, yeah. Right. And then he sticks a little further in and he's like, wow, this movie's darker than I thought it was. Right. And he's reading through it and he's like, this is not giving up. This movie is really dark. And then page 100, the killer walks in and goes, it's me. Yeah. And he's like, I'm physically holding the script in my hand. I can feel there are still like 40 pages left. And I'm so excited being like, I have no idea what happens in the remaining 40 pages. Right. The fuck is this movie doing if it plays its hand this early with who the guy is? Also, just it, it also just Spacey not putting his name in the opening, by the way, just, it just speaks to the character of that man. Um, he's just kind of like <laughs> yes. a noble right. guy. Just the selflessness. Yeah. Selfless, the yeah. Heroism. Sure. I really hope he listens to this episode. Uh, I hope he doesn't. I think he's bad. Um... He's Bef- bad in K-Pax. Yeah, I agree. Before, is he? Is yes. He, yes. Is this a bad performance? Yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I believe you. Yes. 
I read the book. Did I ever tell you that? No. Yeah, years You've ago. You've never told me that. I, I read, read K-Pax, the novel. You, both yes. of you have read, read K-Pax. I think the book Jesus. is not great. Did you like it? it? Well, I don't remember it being particularly good. Yeah, I've never seen K-Pax, I don't think, but I've read the book. I've seen the movie. Mitch, mm-hmm. have you seen the movie? I feel like I've seen parts of K-Pax. I, I also don't, I don't, I don't think I ever, when Spacey puts mustard on a roll, I don't ever think I, like, even when he is the photographer and he's like, hey, let me take a picture, buddy. I'm like, this is, that's over the top. But when he's just being his normal, you know, like a spacey kind of like when he's like in this movie too, just being kind of a psycho and just being like a quiet speaking spacey guy. I think that he's he's fun to watch. He is good. It's you know, it's the thing that's fucking tough to talk about because you don't want to seem like you're praising him. But but the performance is good. I think there's a really clear divining line, which is just like, you know, post-American beauty. I think he just gets so fucking up his own ass and just is. Doing things like playing a, a whatever, Are you like sure a, about that when it becomes. <laughs> I mean, when the yeah, guy become, becomes a, a true Mad TV sketch yeah. character. Yeah, yes. uh, and 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 I think that you know, and also things like playing like a, when he was like in his, he was like fifty, and he's playing like a twenty-seven-year-old Bobby Darren in a biopic that he always directing. Oh, that so movie wasn't insane. indulgent at all. How dare you? <laughs> but he's look. We we talk about space here a little bit, but like. Uh, he always talks about, and especially like in the post-American beauty era where he's just like, I've won two Oscars. I'm right. now a movie star, a fully right. minted movie star. And it became so clear that like, oh, in his mind, he is Jack Lemon. That's the right. star that he's always looked up to. And now he's going on talk shows and he's doing all his impressions. Right. He wants to be a little bit of that, right? Like the guy who can do kind of a variety show as well as win an Oscar. Right. Comedy yeah. and drama. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, this is the year where he breaks out largely because of two roles where he plays stone cold. Right. He plays creepy to the, the scariest people psychopath. in the movie. Yeah. Like, in both Seven and The Usual Suspects, in the worlds of those movies, he's the worst, scariest person. <laughs> Maybe the worst human being who's in, ever lived. In the universe of the yes. movie, exactly. Right. Like, yes. And yes. once again, we watch him now and we're like, I understand why he was good at playing these things, right? And then he enters this period, like, really, I'd say, like, 2000. He doesn't make it out of the 20th century alive, right? He goes into the year 2000. And he's like, now America loves me and I'm going to be charming. Podcast The Ride did a very good episode on this that is uh, untitled and behind multiple paywalls <laughs> so that they don't experience any legal action. And I apologize for directing uh, any attention over there. But just the weird era of Spacey just wanting to be like rock on tour, like I'm singing John Lennon covers at a 9-11 tribute concert and shit like that. Sure, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, so much of our modern culture is needing to talk about like, how do you like address bodies of work that contain canceled people mm. in a culture where people are getting canceled at an alarming rate, where we find out more and more awful things about almost everyone all the time, sure. right? And Spacey's been this guy where I've always saw him as an example where I'm like, well, the Cosby show is impossible to watch now. You cannot watch That's the Cosby tough. show. Like, the cognitive dissonance is too severe, right? But, right. like, I don't think Seven is negatively affected by Kevin Spacey because, if anything, it kind of plays into it. I'm not saying it makes no, no, it no, better. No, you're not wrong. But, like, American Beauty, I would imagine, is impossible to watch right now. In a way, I think it already wasn't holding up great. Sure, yeah. But when that movie is premised on the idea of, like, what a normal-seeming suburban dad, who then turns out to be a little weirder than we thought, that falls apart. Versus this movie, when Kevin Spacey shows up and he's, like, fucking cut his fingertips off, you're like, yeah, no classic Kevin Spacey role. (laughs) I The the thing with him is, post this and pre-American beauty. It's really interesting the roles that they find for him, essentially playing like 
movie star creep. So like yes. Time to Kill, he's the evil lawyer. Okay. Uh-huh. So the, but that's probably being made sort of before he wins the Oscar. Yeah. LA Confidential, where it's like he is a quote unquote hero in that movie. Yeah, he's but good he's in that. a weird creep. He's really good in it. You know, he's kind of like a sh- sort of slime ball. The negotiator. The negotiator. It's like, yes, it's kind he's of like the a bitter, hero, sad sack. But right, there's sort of like a weird edge to this guy. Yeah. Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil, which I just watched in yeah. my effort to finally watch every single Clint Eastwood directed film. Uh-huh. I watched it in which he's playing a gay art collecting murderer, uh-huh. uh, a role that he definitely just had nothing to relate to in there. And then A Bug's Life in which he plays an evil cricket. Yes. That's I mean, his That's his in between this and American Beauty. Yes. That's, that, those are all the roles. Like nothing, they're starring roles, but they're not like, you know, heroes. Right. But like a perfect example of a guy like that who wins the Oscar and then you're like, what does Hollywood do with this guy now, right? He's too weird. He's too creepy. Is he going to get caught just playing, like, villains in Stallone action movies? Right, right, right. And then that's a run where he makes, like, five or six really good choices in a row. He yeah. kind of nails it. He wins his second Oscar. Does win his second Oscar. And then he just goes absolutely insane and kind of completely loses he, the plot. He, but the thing, the thing he does, right, after he's horribly miscast in Pay It Forward. Yes. He's horribly miscast in The Shipping News. These are big movies, you know, big Oscar but movies. now he's, he's in the Jack poorly. Lemmon world where he wants to be the sympathetic right. sort of like sad sack, but like the world has shit upon him and he's a good guy fighting to get what he deserves kind of thing. Yeah. He's, he's trying to ignore the fundamental creepiness at that point. Right. But uh, yeah, he's very good in Seven. Before we discuss the finale of Seven, we haven't really... Do we need to say anything else about lust, pride? Those are the two murders, the late murders. And we talked we about... We talked about Leland Dorser's Who's incredible. And Mike, Michael there. Massey, oh, so good. who is... The I don't king know king of the scumbags. Yes. Do you guys know this? No, tell us. Michael Massey, the other actor in that scene, they're cross-cutting, who's the one who, who forces Leland Orser at gunpoint to, to do that uh, horrendous uh, killing. Uh, he is the man who shot uh, Brandon Lee on the set of The Crow. Oh, my God. Yes. Wow. Yes. And is a guy who is like... He was traumatized by it. Very open yeah. about the fact that it basically broke him psychologically. He was so traumatized by it. He like didn't act in movies for several years. He was like, maybe I can never act again. Then he went to do like a regional theater. Then he moved up to theater. He finally got sort of like drawn back into movies, but was always very reluctant and was one of these guys who was like kind of always openly like processing the trauma of the thing. Yeah. But whenever he was cast in roles like this, there is that weird edge of just like, this is a guy who isn't playing how haunted he is. He is also, he's the first villain in 24. Yeah. Like he is the first guy that Jack Bauer deals with. Yes. He's like the villain for the first half of the first season of 24. Yeah. He's so fucking good. He was a incredible actor and was a guy who was like so conclusively not at fault sure. at all no, yeah, I mean, in the incident and like I think took more responsibility for it than he even should have because it's just like such a traumatizing thing, but I do. When, think I did, when I did gun safety training for Tomorrow War, they they told the Brandon Lee story, which I didn't even know. To the, like when they told the story, I didn't like even know how the, that the, the how specifics of right, yeah. like well, that he tomorrow, went. They brought him to a shower, you know, his trailer to shower, and that's when yeah. when they came back and checked on him. That's when they found out that he was even shot. A uh, uh, Tomorrow War was pre Rust, right? Yes, pre-Rust, yep. Because that was, same. everything I'd worked on, except for maybe one or two really, really bad borderline illegal productions, would do, like, these big safety demonstrations anytime there's a gun on set. Yes. And sometimes, like, 
people would roll their eyes and go like, do we really need to grind everything for to a halt for this? Yeah. It's been like 30 years. This hasn't happened since Brandon Lee. That's that. And it was kind of like, look, there shouldn't be any, probably any guns in our country, but it was one of those things where I'm like, I, on sets, I'm like, that's jobs that people have. And the, it, just the fact that that happened with rust is so insane because as okay. you saw, Griff, they're like so crazy, uh, like about you checking because of the crow basically. Yes. Right. Right. Is, yeah. There's like a thing where like, right. Whoever the firearms expert is on set will like before each take unload the gun, take out a flashlight, yeah. shine it through each individual barrel, show it to you that it's empty before. You and then they have the all gun. these. Yeah. Right. And, and like they hand it to you the moment before they call action. They pull it from you the moment after they say cut. Yeah. And they basically have this like rule where they're like, if you're fucking around and doing bits with the gun, we take it away from you and we're not giving it back. Yeah. Like, fuck the production. It doesn't matter. If you're not responsible, we will not let that actor hold a gun anymore. Yeah. Uh, yes. But Michael Massey uh, died very, kind of tragically young. He died of cancer. of cancer. Yeah, a few years oh, ago. Um, but always had this really intense power on screen in roles like this. Yeah, it's, he's he's great in this. Yeah. Leland Dorser, obviously, also really good. A oh, real... Man. A real pincher type, too. I mean, this movie just—he's still dining out on this role. Oh yeah, yeah he's but like, just—he's fantastic. Stacked with great character actors, but I also the, love the that almost none from, of them. The bus driver uh, from Speed as well. Yes, as the uh, library security guard. Right. I just love that almost none of these characters have names. Yeah, I also love that 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 the scumbags in this. Or like no one's leaning into like 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 hey well I'm I'm a sleaze ball what do you yeah. want from me huh? right you know they're they're all just kind of like he's he's even like 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 no I don't like my job but what the fuck that's what life is you know like they're all like and, and Richard Schiff's when he's the 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 you know kind of shitty you know defense attorney later yes. right? he's he's Kevin Space he's also like not playing it like a scuzzball he's just like playing it like a guy the biggest character is. Kevin Spacey is that photographer. It is. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Richard Schiff is really well cast. He's really good. Like, he's a great actor and he can play, you know, a lot of stuff. But he's really good at that kind of chinless dude. Yes. You know. But, like, you look at the proper credits at the end of this film. Leland Orser is credited as crazed man in massage parlor. Which he he is. He's big, too. But it's it, it just is so it's effective at that point. I it's mean, really uh, effective. I feel like yeah. the last couple kills are... Uh, the, you you kind of you kind of do I mean except they show up it's it's crazy that we spend less time on them because it is like a big fucking knife that he that he well, that's fucks whole, someone to death that's the, but that's the whole thing and I think that that's a big part of its of it, uh, the direction obviously but the way it's scripted is like we're not seeing any actual murders yeah. like we see one murder and it's the the at the very end of the movie you know that's everything true. is in yeah, the aftermath and aftermath and, yeah. and, um, and and even then they like cut wide. So when yeah. the actual gunshot happens, they you do. don't, there's no like explosively bloody gag of John Doe being shot in the head. I just need to read this because um, JJ pulled this up in some incredible quote, the Fincher interview from 2009. Uh, he said, I thought that what was pretty amazing about what Andy prescribed in his script and what he was so adamant about was that you don't need to see stuff. He unlocks the Pandora's box of your imagination in a really gripping way. Now you watch Law & Order SVU and they're walking in a hallways and they yes, say, we this. found semen in the eye socket. <laughs> right. I would never do that. <laughs> but we had a lot of people insisting they'd seen more than they did. I almost had a fist fight with a woman at a Beverly Hills cocktail party because she said, there's no need to make a stand-in of Gwyneth Paltrow's head to find in the box. You don't need to see that. Right. And I said, well, we didn't. And she said, oh, yes, you did. 
So the imagination, if properly primed, can do more than any army of makeup artists. That was always my thing. Get people to fear it. Get them to see it in their heads. I do think people have false memories of images that are not anywhere near yeah. this film. Do we ever actually even see Ben Affleck's dick in Gone Girl? Or are we all just imagining it? We're going to talk about it. Believe me. It's going to come up. We might have you guys zoom in for another segment on that. <laughs> yeah, you awesome. might need We're to ready. just come in for that scene. Maybe just 10 minutes bunch, on yeah. A minute per inch. Mitch, Mitch has that scene saved on his phone. So I don't think we ever do see that. I don't know if we ever do see that. Now I'm questioning if we've ever seen it. <laughs> Have I just seen the Affleck duck stick? Is that what it was? <laughs> you call the Affleck duck the Affleck duck? Sorry, we're we're being fools over here. You guys can continue no, on no, with no, your no. good podcast. Very good. <laughs> we're just, we're just good. absolutely drinking it in. We're just enjoying it. Um, ben, do you like Seven? I feel like this is a real Haas movie. Yeah, it's fucked up. Uh-huh. It's dirty as hell. Yeah. It's the kind of thing where you smoke weed with your friends later and you like talk about how extremely fucked up it was. Right. And yeah. which which would you like want to happen to you? Like if you had to have one yeah. of these happen to you or right. whatever. Yeah. You do stuff like that. Do stuff like that. Right. But I watched it again. I guess as you get older. Uh, seeing extremely violent things like this and just becoming more and more of a person with people you love in your life. Mm, right. I was really You're horrified by yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, but also hits close to home for you because you're engaged with Paltrow. That's a specifically. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, of course there's that. And you live underneath the railway. Yeah. I will say though, I had pasta for dinner that night afterwards. Okay. So you, you were, you were fine with the spaghetti. Ben, ben don't yeah. say that. You'll get canceled. Mitch, what were you about to say? I was going to say that it's funny because it, I agree that it is like, I find the ending cruel in many ways. And I like, don't want it to it's happen. And mm-hmm. and as a kid, probably thought I was like, whoa, this is fucking crazy and cool. But then also as an adult, I've also now uh, I'm not as shocked by seven because everyone took a page out of its book, of course. And like they're like like Fincher was saying, come in the yeah. eye socket or and, whatever. Right. They just show it to you. Right. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. It's yeah. that both in cinema and then also just in the in the real world, in our decaying reality of just like the the actual horrors you're subjected to. It's it seems muted by comparison. My one thing just to the the I, you know, I'd like this movie more on a rewatch, although I had a similar reaction to Ben of just like it it's it is re, it is repulsive. It is revolting in a way that I didn't feel when I was younger. But comparing it to Zodiac, which, you know, not not fair. It's 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 a it's a real world thing. And it's and it's also, you know, that's one of my favorite films of all time. So I I have a little bit more favoritism towards it. But you also receive residuals from it. But yeah, go on. (laughs) Life rates. What I like about Zodiac (laughs) is that it shows serial killers as we know them to actual actually be, which is that they're like fucking they're derivative. They're consumers. Uh, uh, they're dumb. You know what I mean? It's like versus here. It's like, you know, this is he's a super villain, right? Like he's like the the yes. glorification of the serial killer, the represent that John Doe here. He's so many steps ahead of everyone that everything goes according to his plan. Uh, and even when there's a little bit of a hiccup, he still manages to get back on track and have the upper hand. He's in control the entire time. And I kind of I kind of just I'm more interested in the the dude who, you know, copied his costume uh, from, uh, you know, the the film, the adaptation of the most dangerous game and, you know, uh, uses yes. a code that he stole from a children's book and, 
has fucking dirty dildos and squirrel meat in his decrepit trailer. Like, I feel like that's like closer to the to the actual psychopath that we see in in our reality. Yeah, I just want to just uh, if, give a Cliff Notes version of what Weiger just said. Uh, he likes the Zodiac Killer. Mitch, what were you about to say? <laughs> Uh, I was I was gonna say that after watching this movie, I don't, I I I haven't seen it in a long time. But I coming out of it, I didn't think that this was his most hopeless movie. I think that like the, I I honestly no. feel like Fight Club was more hopeless. I felt like yeah, Fight honestly, Club bums I, me out more. Yeah, Fight Club is more of a bummer. I agree. Fight Club is more of a bummer. I think that that honestly, I think Social Network is a huge bummer. It just for the world 100%. we live in. I mean, like, there's also a speech that that Pitt gives at one point. I, I was trying to figure out where this was, but I wrote down Brad Pitt's speech is kind of hopeful uh, at one point, which is maybe I think this is before even the, they they've captured um, Spacey. But like, he is he is a hopeful character. Obviously, at the end, that's yeah. that's He's you know broken. that's that's no, that's, but he thinks he out. can do good. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, yeah. he and, thinks this is he's a hero. Yeah. Right. I mean, he thinks like that's why he wants the job. Yeah, for sure. And 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 I know I know we're headed towards the finish line, but like just just the, one of the things that on rewatch is like a, a scene that really hits, you know, obviously Kevin Spacey having the blood covered shirt and it's Gwyneth Baltrow's blood. But I, but I think the scene where the two of them are just joking around shaving their chests so they can put the hidden mics that tape their hidden mics to their chest is like knowing what's happened. You know, at oh, that point in the film, like right. it, yeah, yeah right. it's such like a it's such like a great scene on rewatch. Yeah, well, because they're amped because they think they're cruising to a win. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Right, and they're like, and we stopped the final two from happening. It it, it was right. it was right. it was to me it was this sort of thing of like, man, I remember everything about this movie and then don't remember so much of it at the same time, which was yeah. fascinating for a movie I haven't watched probably in over twenty years. To just be like, oh yeah, this is where this happens, and then just picking up the little details, noticing how beautiful it was too, which we which Gorgeous we texted movie. about. It looks so great. We didn't even talk about the rain even that much. The, 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 I mean, we talked about we talked a little about bit about the rain, Mitch. We talked, we about, talked the about the rain. We talked about the rain. But you could talk about the rain forever. It's great. Well, uh, no, but I, I do, I do agree with you guys. It was funny reading all the quotes of people who were just like disgusted by this film on paper. And that within a couple of years, it's not even that crazy. Like it's just, it's just no. like what you guys were saying. It doesn't even show that much stuff. Like it's on. The, it's it, and, and it's a testament to this movie too. That like when you watch like the greatest horror moments of all time, and then Sloth is on there because it's not. It's not really a horror movie. At, at, it, it's not. It's not. From what I remembered, it there's horrible things in it, and there is some imagery, and and I love that it like goes into the the horror genre, but it's not. It's not really gross. It's not there. You're not seeing any of these crimes committed, like you said. It's 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 strange. It's a strange. And movie also, in that like way. within ten years, like Criminal Minds is covering shit as twisted as this. For yes, sure. you know, like it's like beyond even Saw. You know, well, and the, like the thing with Saw even is that Saw one, you watch it, and you're like, wow, this is incredibly restrained. Yeah, doesn't really show you much. Yeah. It's sort of this, and then you're watching. You know, by the time you're at Saw five, you're like. Oh, there go her boobs, like right. getting ripped off by the big claw. <laughs> Did you know in Saw Wait, Three, what, there's a trap where which, which saw is that, Sims? <laughs> <laughs> in Saw Three, there's a trap where there's pigs getting ground up into slop, and a guy drowns in the pig slop. Jesus, you know about this? No, that's the other thing though. They become so cartoony, yes. and then you have stuff like SVU and Criminal Minds that is like so grounded, it's in, like gritty. we did the research yeah, 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 and whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then there's like the rise of true crime documentaries, which leads to the rise of true crime podcasts and all this shit. And you're like, yeah, why? there's like the moral decay, as you said, of society, right? That I think makes this movie not feel tamer, but feel less shocking than it did at the time. But I also think that like all of the stuff that's being kind of touched on in this movie has been more normalized. These are no longer conversations that happen behind like closed doors with only the most grizzled people who have basically accepted a monastic life of punishment needing to know like <laughs> the greatest evil humanity is capable of. Instead, like my great uncle watches it on CBS at 830, you know? <laughs> and and so like I think the thing that maybe makes us hit a little bit harder is is the ending, is the final sort of, like, mental trick of the thing. Right. Of, like, oh, this has become a moral test, right? I mean, I do just love the John Doe surrendering himself. Detectives! Just the right amount of information on him. I don't remember if it's Ermi saying or whatever, but they're like, what do we know about this guy? He clearly comes from money. He's got weird resources. He shaved off his fingers, Right. Right. And you're kind of expecting, like, the next 30 minutes, we're going to get a full psychological profile of this guy. We're going to figure out exactly how he did it and how he works. And instead, he's just sitting in the back seat, being like, this is all going according to my plan. This is what I wanted. I'm here because I wanted to be here. Mm -hmm. And you're like, what the fuck is this guy's game? He gives this self-aggrandizing speech with Pitt, you know, says, you're a t-shirt, you're a movie of the week, whatever. Yeah. And then he is proven 100% right. Yes, and I agree with you that he is proven right, obviously. He enacts his plan. Yeah. But there is that moment with the moment that you quoted to start this episode mm-hmm. uh, 50 or 60 hours ago. Yeah. Um, in which he, uh, it's just a little joke. Um, don't get him Feel free to laugh. Don't um, you don't need to laugh. <laughs> where, you know, he, he gets nervy. He's yes. like, oh, you think these people were innocent, you know? And that's the only moment where he does feel kind of pathetic. Yeah. Where suddenly you're like, oh, right. You are just like crazy. Yes. Like, yes, you have resources and this kind of, you know, weird criminal genius or whatever, but you are fundamentally just someone who's like, that disgusting person needed to die. But that you know. is that you're like, he did a good job. You know what I'm saying? Like, Can you cut that out? And keep just, it in. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm saying it's a bit isolated. To your and, point of like you saying that you feel like the Riddler and the Batman is a bad serial killer. I watched this movie and I'm like, this is about as good as I can imagine anyone could be at serial killing. He's successful. You know? He is successful. I'm not saying I endorse it. I do, but I'm not saying that. <laughs> but I do watch it, and I'm like, this guy played it pretty fucking well. He did. What he wanted to happen happened. So yes, whether that yes. was worth it, I guess, is maybe a big right. question. And you read about like all the different alternate endings they pitched, right? Even, you know, leading up to shooting it, Pitt saying, I quit if you don't. Even after they shot it and they test screened it, they were like, can we please reshoot the ending? Because they knew they were going to have to go back to the desert to reshoot the helicopter shit. And it was like, can it be the dog, the dog's head in the box? Sure. Is that five degrees less upsetting to the audience? It's like one million degrees less upsetting to the audience. Yes. Can it be inside the box is a TV screen showing Gwyneth Paltrow tied in the apartment to a chair? Box in a box. Right. And then they go in there and they save her in time. Right. And then even when they were like, no, it has to be her head. Then they were like, if it's her head, then Pitt can't shoot him. He needs to be redeemable. He can't give in. 
So it can be that Somerset shoots John Doe to prevent to, to Nels. The, yeah. Which I almost it can root be that, for watching the movie again. I almost you kind of are like, yeah, you right, want right. there to be the out. It can be can it be that Somerset shoots Mills? So Mills doesn't shoot him. He doesn't kill Mills, but he stops Mills long enough to not give in. They were just like, is there anything to avoid the double whammy of mm -hmm. the head is in the box and he does it? And and there isn't. No, and he's got to do it. Yeah. When you're watching the movie, you're like, yeah, yeah. you got to shoot. Was this, was this a playground rumor that the baby was in the box or was that disgust? I, I just feel like the playground rumor was that you saw the head. Right. As you're yeah. sort of saying about like someone cast, you know, uh, chastising Fincher for it, like... Or that there was a version of the movie where you saw the head that we hadn't seen. There's this insane rumor that circulates around the internet, and I've seen it reported on ostensibly uh, legitimate, uh, okay. reputable outlets that in, out uh, not Outbreak, excuse me, Contagion, when they do the autopsy of Gwyneth Paltrow, yes, and they, they like cut her open her head. down. Yes. yes. Oh, that right. they were like, well, it was easy for them to do that because they had the leftover head from Seven. Oh, wow. I've seen serious websites. I mean, it makes this. sense to me that people would just make that where they like, were like subconscious. Right, connection. we built the head for Seven. We never used it, and then Fincher and Soderbergh are friends, and the head, the prop was preserved for twenty five years, <laughs> and then yeah. passed along. I mean, I love that idea, and that's true, and obviously sometimes is actually true in Hollywood of like. You still got that model from fucking, you know, Star Trek 2? Sure. Just go get it and paint it blue. Like, it'll be a new spaceship or whatever. Like, but they also... They but they don't have, keep... You know, they whatever. wouldn't have built the head from Seven with the layers no, they of muscle. They needed to. No, they had to. To make the box really heavy. The box had to be The box had to have the proper yeah. weight. Not like an empty coffee cup or whatever. Kevin Spacey probably, as a method actor, demanded, mm -hmm. I can't fake it unless <laughs> there's a real head in the box. I don't care whose it is. <laughs> Just one more thing. His sleepy thing was just like, this is the peak of him just knowing how to weaponize the that. The draw. The draw. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I. By the way, I just want to. I just want to give credit to the movie for. Um, it won three uh, uh, golden popcorns for uh, oh. best movie, movie with Fincher, David Fincher, best villain, Kevin Spacey, uh -huh. won won a golden popcorn for best villain and and most desirable male. Is Brad yeah, Pitt. so wow, Pitt okay. said, like, I think he had won that award for Legends of the Fall uh, and was like, I need to do a movie like Seven to disrupt that image, so I stopped being a heartthrob, and I then he the still won the award again. They were like, Hachi Machi! Throw a golden popcorn at him. He's like, leave me alone! Morgan Freeman, the only one who got screwed, because the best duo, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, uh, were nominated, but they lost to Farley and Spade for Tommy Boy. I mean, that's a, it's that's a, a deserving loss. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know that I have a problem with that loss, really. That the, just the final pit shot of him debating whether or not to do it. Wow, it is a stack category. Bad Boys, Friday, and Toy Story. Jesus, wow. on screen duos. How did Toy Story Fucking lose? Buzz and Woody. But did Buzz and Woody ever win? I, I I don't know. If I'll, Buzz and I'll Woody never won a golden popcorn, it, it's then that award is a fucking sham. David, open up three more tabs: 99, <laughs> 2010, 2019. And give me the MTV Movie Awards for each year. They were nominated again in 2000 for Toy Story 2, Best okay. On-Screen Duo. And they lost to? Mike Myers and Vern Troyer for The Spy Who Shagged Me. Oh, Dr. Oh, Evil and Mini. Yeah. Fuck. Fuck. Okay, what about 2010? No, that's it. Those are the only two nominations. The award is then turned into Best On-Screen Team uh -huh. and then discontinued after 2006, then brought back in 2013, discontinued again in 2015. The final winner... 
Oh no, then they brought it back. They keep doing they did duo in 2023, okay. Last of Us. Ugh, fuck this. Jesus. I hate this what shit. This Forky won a uh, movie fuck? Heartthrob in oh, of course. 2019. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. yeah, he's got a killer body. <laughs> um no, I think Pitt plays this scene so well. This scene's just so uh exquisitely What's in the box? done. But it, but it's the moment of like the way it plays out. It, they really do get a lot of value of going to the helicopter shots and having that perspective where they're far enough away and everything's kind of abstracted. And it really creates this weird tension of seeing them in this open, barren space. Well, it's also, you want it as an, you're like, get me away from this. Yes. Like, it's it's sort of a relax, or a release. You're like, I yeah. can't look at, think about this anymore. But yeah. like, delivery driver comes in with the box. Spacey's sort of just checking his watch, being like, oh, I think it's about to happen. They're far off. He sees it. And it's that moment where, like, Freeman puts it together, right? There's the mm -hmm. initial shock of just seeing the head in the box. And then when he sort of radios in and goes, like, John Doe has the upper hand. Yeah. Like, he right. immediately he figures out what he the entire plan so is. Yeah. And you just see Freeman in his head try to calculate, how do I prevent Mills from doing this? Right. And he knows it's probably impossible. Right. Yeah. Right. And what would happen to Mills? Is he is it, he gets the 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 chair? No, I, I think that's probably well, the, a manslaughter charge. He probably yeah, he probably doesn't guilty. even get much. He can't be a cop anymore. Yeah, he's, he's definitely. Uh, I mean, his career is over. His wife is dead. Right, right. Somerset says to the the chief, like, just make sure he gets everything he wants. Right. Yeah, make yeah, sure yeah. you take care of him or whatever yeah. it is. He would do time I'm for that. Sure that's he, I'm pretty sure an active duty cop who yes, executed a suspect would go to prison for some time. But like he, yes, it would be some kind of lesser. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, I guess he shoots him in cold blood, but he murdered his wife. He put her head in a box. Yeah. And also he's done various other elaborate murders. Yeah. And also, he's kind of funny looking. Yeah. Here's a question. Yeah. Do you think Mills pulls the trigger if Doe doesn't drop the thing about the baby? Uh, Yes, probably. But obviously that's the whatever. Right. You know, the coup de grace. Right. But he probably fucking shoots him. He's got a gun right there. But he's like, He's holding on to a certain amount of restraint. And then it's like, yeah. Doe genuinely seems to not know that Mills didn't know. And Spacey's delight at that. Too. I was like, oh, you did. I know. It's so nasty. Oh, and it's, it's so also fucked. just the fact that, like, in that moment, that's the thing that gets Somerset to slap him, which belies that Somerset knew. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, right, also right. So there's the, the weird the of that. Because yeah. he's trying to get him to say, like, tell What's me it's in not the in there. Yeah. Somerset doesn't want to lie to him. But that's finally the give. So, like, that one reveal collapses Mills's entire world. Where it's like, she was pregnant. I didn't know. He knew. That means her head's in there. She's dead. The baby's gone. My whole future's gone. And then Pitt just oh. has that one fucking shot that I feel like is still, like, memed all the time. Where he goes through, like, ten yes, reactions yes, in three yes, seconds. Yes, yes. And Pitt, at this act, at this a point, classic gif at this point. At this right. point in his career, where he was always putting a lot of mustard on it, and I think when he was well cast as an actor, it was because people were playing into his desperation to be taken seriously. And a lot of these roles where he's kind of playing the junior to a more uh, August movie star, yeah, leading man, Ford, right? Yeah, Robert Redford. Yeah, I feel like that's the first moment of Pitt's career as an actor where he starts to tap into what he's going to actually have full control over, like. 10, 15 years later. I agree. Yeah. No, I mean, I think this is a quote-unquote immature performance from him in a way. Yeah. But it's a good performance and it's right the start of 
Yeah, and that moment's just so skillful. I love him in that moment. Uh, it, I, it's good. It, it, it's yeah. it's the perfect. I mean, that that's the it's the perfect movie at the perfect time for both Fincher and Pitt, and their career trajectories are obviously forever affected. I I wish to go back to the MTV Movie Awards. I wish that it was William Shatner's head in the box, uh, because it just would have been. <laughs> You wish that it was William Shatner's head in the box? That's that's in the MTV Movie Awards. That's what happens. Did you see it? Really? What, are Wait, you that talking was the about gag? the 1995 MTV Movie Awards? Yeah. Who was hosting? I think Shatner. Looks like the, that's good. Look, no, looks <laughs> like the hosts were, oh my God, John Lovitz and Courtney Cox? Oh, <laughs> Jesus. What a, what a fucking combo. But no, wait, I think the seven... <laughs> That's Wait. so funny. Oh, no. The seven awards, I'm sorry, were the year after. That was 95. Okay. Was John Lovitz and Courtney Cox, the dynamic duo. Yeah. 96 was hosted by Ben Stiller and Janine Garofalo. Oh, That's of good. course. Good, a good combo. Yeah. Better combo. By the way, uh huh. Courtney Cox and John Lovitz definitely fucked, right? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean this as a joke. I, I 100% believe there is no way they didn't. Uh, yes. I don't remember that joke. Why would it be Shatner? I don't get it. He was such a punchline kind of guy. Like, it's that era of Conan bringing out like, and he Mr. Like, T or Shatner yeah, yeah. Right, as right. like a quick visual punchline. I'll give you, I watched but, it last night. I'll give you a little bit more. The, the, you uh, watched the, the MTV Movie Awards parody? Uh, yeah, I watched the MTV Movie Awards parody last night. The, 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 the delivery driver is a green alien babe instead of like, uh, Arquette. I know it's one of the Arquettes that does. Oh, what's, the, uh, what's the time code on this one? <laughs> <laughs> does it cut in with the actual movie footage or did they shoot both sides of it? Uh, I think they 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 definitely cut it into the movie footage. Okay, got it. And then Shatner's head is in the box, and then he sings a song. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's pretty good. When I was young, and I would watch those, I like could not comprehend the technical wizardry of how well the new footage they shot cut in with the old footage. Yeah. Where I was just like, this yeah. feels impossible. How the fuck are they matching this? <laughs> yeah, and I wonder like if it's a thing. That, that's my question. If I rewatched it now, would it all look like bullshit to me? I mean, I think they do a good job with like the location. They get like a like a like a brown grass location or whatever. So sure. and then it's Shatner is playing every role. He's playing, he's playing Oh, that's this good. is this is what it is. He's pl he's playing Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt and oh, Kevin okay. Spacey. And, and then when the they box. open the box, he's the head in the box. He's in there. That's good. Which maybe right. made people think that you see the head in the box. I maybe think that there is some connection to that. Maybe that's why. Yeah. I'm going to watch this when I get home. Yeah. Uh, before we do the box office game, mm -hmm. I do want to point out that this movie did so well that they wanted Andrew Kevin Walker has yes. a script called 8mm, which of course was turned into a movie. Yes. But they initially wanted to try and repurpose that and have Morgan Freeman be in that movie as Somerset. Wild. Like they're just like, Som we'll just do a seven sequel, eight millimeter yeah. and it'll be fucking just Somerset doing a new crime you know like you know that'll be it and even though this movie has like an ending yes. like it is over 8mm is a movie I would argue is almost more bleak and depraved than this film yeah and it it's is. wild that that movie whatever it is two years later yeah is gets like a 60 million dollar budget and is made by like Paramount yeah where suddenly this thing had become like a script that no studio would touch, where they were like, please give us the next seven. Um, there's also a film called Solace that does did okay. eventually get released. So Ted Griffin yeah. was the main writer on Ocean's Eleven and a ton of other it's movies. got uh, Anthony Hopkins and Colin Farrell. I've never seen Wolf it. Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. He writes a script called Solace. Yeah. That's about a, 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 a guy detective a tracking killer. a serial yeah. killer where there's a psychic element. Sure. 
And New Line buys it, Die Hard with a Vengeance style, and says, can we rewrite this to make it into a seven sequel? Right. Which they title EI numeral eight <laughs> Great. Cool. I swear to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's an ain't a cool story that runs that is New Line desperately wants to make a uh all three guys go absolutely not. Right. I think right. it really would have just come down to Fincher and uh, uh Morgan Freeman. Uh I don't know what role Pitt would have played in this, but they did finally make that movie five, six years ago with Anthony Hopkins and your boyfriend Colin Farrell. Yes, it's a feral film I've never seen. Yeah, um, I don't think it's supposed to be very good. No. Um, By the way, the trailer for the killer came out today. It sure did. Looks fucking great to me. I haven't seen it yet. And I let's, Mitch. I know you wanted to mention this. It will be out of date by the time this episode comes out. Yeah. Just yesterday. Yeah. Was the birthday of two people very important to this episode. It's true. Who we didn't know shared a birthday. Yeah. Nicholas Weiger and DeFinchman. DeFinchman and Wags birthdays wow. yesterday. Wow. Happy birthday, Wags. Thanks, buddy. Fincher turned 60. Happy birthday to DeFinchman. Weiger turned 65. <laughs> <laughs> waiting for someone to do that. <laughs> I've heard someone who's seen The Killer and they say that it's great. I'm very excited about it. I'm I so excited. I've heard uh, good things about The Killer. I'm very excited to see it. Also an Andrew Kevin Walker script, right? Did we talk? Did we mention I, that? I believe he is involved. He's done a lot of... Uh, movies with Fincher like he'd done a lot of rewrites for him too like I think I've always yeah he is the screenwriter all right Griff this movie and Nick and Mitch this movie opened September 22nd 1995 any final thoughts uh seven out of ten pretty good <laughs> I don't know I mean hmm. it was I mean, seventh at need... the box office seventh highest grossing it's true film. that that is that that is true Seventh highest grossing Don't film of ninety five. Box oh, office, funny. you're gonna ruin it. I, 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 I that's the no, only, no, no, I just saw it for the year. That's for the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's for the year. I just, I want to open the floor if you guys, uh, if there's anything else you want to say before we play a box office game, but no pressure. I, I don't think there's anything I've missed. I mean, I, I watched uh, I watched Clute over the weekend because I know that, that both mm. Fincher and Darius Kanji, the DP, had cited that as an mm. ins, as an inspiration. It is like you know, I love the look of this movie. We maybe didn't talk enough about that, but it's just like. How much it lives in the shadow, yeah. how dark it is, which was a criticism of the time, but it, it like yeah. how much they're they're just just the idea of directing the 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 audience's eyes via flashlights is such a neat trick that they do repeatedly. It's it's uh, yeah. it's all copied. That's the thing. It's like this movie right. is so copied. It's the bleach bypass thing. It doesn't the look bad at all. Use. Like it yeah. doesn't hurt no. this movie for yeah. me, but yes. it is very just but it profoundly. Basically, took out most of the midtones and most of the colors, right. so you have like like kind of jet ink blats. Yeah. And then the silvers in the whites. My last, um, my last shout out is just that the backwards credits are cool, and then uh, that song, yeah. "Guilty" by Gravity Kills, because I know that they opened it up with the Nine Inch Nails kind of remix yeah, of of the of whatever closer maybe, but then uh, yeah, that song "Gravity" the, uh, the "Guilty" by Gravity Kills. I remember being like a song I really liked. Yeah, right around then, thirteen years old or whatever, getting into that that kind of more dark. We we talk music. about this uh, in our Fight Club episode coming up. Mm. Uh, I am sort of surprised that this movie did not get a decade later ill-advised video game adaptation in like 2004. Oh man, they should do it, it should have. Yeah, they did make. Doesn't a Fight it feel Club like game. that would have happened? They should do it now. You collect clues. You put like pages in a book or something. Right. But that era of like the Godfather games. Yeah, a Fight Club game. Yeah, you would you would like end up fighting gluttony or whatever too. I'm sure, like, would yeah. be what the game is. But. Right, shoot meatballs into his mouth. <laughs> Sign me up. I'll do the mocap for that. Uh, seven out of seven is, for me. 
Seven out of seven. Seven out of seven. Good, wow. good. Yeah. Um, do you like it? I do. I think it's great. Yeah. It's I, look. It's not one of my favorite uh, Fincher movies, but I I think I, uh, I disproportionately prefer the latter half of his career. I do too, but this is I kind of right in the, the middle there films, for me. No, yeah. yeah. I, I think we're on the same page. Yeah, top top half of his output. For me, my top three is, you know, Zodiac, Social Network, uh, Gone Girl. I think those are those yes. are one, two, three for me. But but same, I bro. basically agree. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it's like it's impressive that he has evolved this much that this now feels like middle tier Fincher, because this is very much the kind of movie that someone spends a career chasing. Chasing. A hundred percent. Right? And like I do, th- I like the game. I like Panic Room. You know, I I like Fight Club. The Fight sure. Club, but the game and Panic Room feel like movies mm-hmm. uh, that are kind of chasing Seven. It, right. I I kind of like both more than Seven sometimes. Not always. Like you know, they're kind of all in the same w- world for me. But I do feel like yeah. for a while that kind of was his rep. Where yes. it's like, yeah, he still makes good movies, but like it's kind of tough to top seven. And it was one of those things where the, the check was just so big they were going to let him keep making movies because from the director of Seven was right. not running out and in terms me, of it's like When he made Zodiac, I was just like... Yeah, that was the holy shit, I didn't know this guy had this in him. And then he <laughs> just sort of levels up to a whole nother, right. whole nother thing. Okay, right. box office. September 22nd, you 1995. Wow. Don't ring the bell. Wait, yeah, wait, where did that come Hold from? Hold on one second. Did Stop. you hear that? Uh, Doughboys, I'm sorry. Something very real is happening in our studio right it, now. I, it's coming from the closet. Oh, okay. Super Hold on one second. It's definitely real ben is and walking not over. This planned. is very real. It's always so good when Ben goes to the bathroom. There's a naturalism happening in this studio right now, not seen since Spacey played the photographer at the crime scene. It would be scene. so scary if someone... Okay, okay Ben a has a box. Ben, ben is you taking have to a box let the Doughboys see this. out of the closet. Yeah, Ben, come on camera. Jesus yeah, Christ. Don't fucking not do, do this. this for... Whatever the hell I just want to make it, it clear. Doing, we don't know what this I is. Need to go home we were not soon. keyed into this. Mm-hmm. Ben yep. is now standing in front. Can oh, you guys wow. see this? Oh wow! Ben has a box wow, what's, and what's, a pair of scissors. We don't know what's what's, what's in, the, in box? the box. Ben, what's in the box? Okay. <laughs> Ben's cutting open the box Ooh. using some scissors. Ben is totally wearing a wig and doing a weird accent, kind of like playing up a kind of New York tough guy thing. <laughs> guys, what's in the box? Okay, there's an envelope that says David and Griffin. Okay. Oh, wow. oh is there something underneath there? Yeah, maybe, okay. maybe, ben, maybe, maybe, maybe we should open up that envelope. Yeah, open up that envelope. Yeah, maybe, yeah. maybe see what's in the envelope. There was a very nuanced... All right, what's in the fucking envelope? ...reaction to whatever Ben just saw in the box. Okay, and then it, <laughs> inside is a note. It says, I visited your studio this morning. I tried to taste the life of a simple podcaster. It didn't work out, so I played my own box office game and took her lovely bobblehead, signed John Doe, and it's uh-huh. uh, D-O-U-G-H. <laughs> good, good, good. Okay, Ben, what's, what's... What's in the box? What's in the box, Ben? <laughs> it's okay, so it's surprisingly <laughs> oh hard to find god. a Gwyneth Paltrow action figure. <laughs> oh my god. We settled on... Um, we settled on a, fun- a rip-off Funko Pop figurine... Of, uh, this is, of course, Pepper a Minico hero. A Minico hero of Pepper Potts as rescue from Avengers Endgame. Wait, so this is not go. a Ben bit? This is a Wigs bit? This is a, this is a Doughboys this, this Ben is a collab. Do- yeah. Oh, wow. Did we get the Happy Meal box or that? No, we didn't get the Happy Meal box. We were going to send in a Happy we're Meal gonna box. We were going to send it in a Happy Meal box. I, we were, it was oh, gonna that would have been funny. We also were going to like cut funny. off the head of the doll, yeah. but then we got it and we're like, ah, it's kind of... I, maybe they want it. I don't know. The there was a perfect Gwyneth Paltrow head f- f- as Pepper <laughs> yeah. Potts, but it yeah. costs Good like $600. Lord. There's a really expensive bust. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Let me far. see this. Wow. 
Anyway, yeah, geez, has she never played another? I guess she really hasn't. That's not really her vibe. You're not getting a Sylvia Plath doll. No, I have. I have a. I think Funko made Royal Tannenbaum stuff. Did that they? looks so much like her? One of those laser accurate Funko likenesses. You know, yeah, the light in the eyes. Oh, so are you both crushed for life? Yeah, this is going to ruin us forever. <laughs> it's in the box! Yeah, Dave and I are going to shoot I each other. I can't believe this doll is pregnant. That's the strangest part. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, let's yeah, now don't kill play the I was kind of hoping that a metronome game. was going to be in the box. box. Game. What's That'd in be... the box office game? David is so upset. Oh. I feel so bad. <laughs> September 22nd. No, I'm very happy about this, to be clear. It is... A little frightening, but it, I mean, just her likeness is a little frightening. Could, yeah. Do you want me to do it again, though, and you guys could really sell it? September 22nd, 1995. <laughs> I just can't believe that the bobblehead also smells I'm just like her vagina, that it also has <laughs> the <laughs> scent. <laughs> the she, is that like you, a licensing guys. demand for okay. all products? Okay, so Seven is opening to $13.9 million, Griffin, which is a sign of just how good its legs were because it made 100 yeah, domestic. Wow. And it, it made also, another 150 overseas? It made 228 wow. overseas. It was wow. such a just smash so hit three, overseas. 330 total? Correct. Absurd. Wow. Yes. Uh, massive, massive hit, but also, yeah, in America, all fall and winter, I right. feel like Seven was just like doing September really well. dumping ground. Yeah, very yeah. much so. Uh, as evidenced by the film opening at number two at the box office, okay. Griffin, that is getting dumped to hell. Now, you said we, we have covered it before. on this podcast. Is it number two? Yes. Number two is the one that's getting dumped yes. to hell? So it's it's, it's opening to uh, $8 million. It's one of the bigger flops we've covered on the show? Yes, and it was hoping for major shock value, much like Seven, propelling it to box office success. Are you joking or seriously? Serious. It was hoping for major shock. It is a somewhat beloved film, but at the time despised. 95. Yes. It is somewhat beloved. It's fairly beloved at this point. Give me give me what studio made it. MGM. It was an MGM release in 1995. It is called Showgirls. It is Paul Verhoeven's Showgirls. Wow. That opened against seven. Wild. Wow. Hey, can I take my five-year-old to, to, to see a movie this week? <laughs> what, what, what's Hollywood got for me? Um... Showgirls, Showgirls is opening uh, at a fairly bad uh, $8 million. It's only on 1,300 screens, I think, because it was rated NC-17. Here's a, here yes. is an honest question. Yeah. Which film has a bleaker view of humanity? Showgirls. That's right? Not, that's, not even, Showgirls. that's not even close. Right. In Showgirls, it's like the people who are your friends are trying to push you down the stairs. Yes. Like, it's not just serial killers. Yeah. Uh, Showgirls, Big Mom. Okay, number three at the box office. It's a comedy, Griffin. Hmm. Uh, starring three action heroes. Is it to Wong Fu? Thanks for everything, Julie Newman. Wow. Which has I been mean, number many... one two weeks in a row. Sure. And is now dropping to three. You say comedy starring three action stars. Right. Exactly. I think about like how how pointed the casting. I know Leguizamo is a stretch as a star. Yeah, I but, guess. You, but he's you, you know, he was yeah. Luigi for crying out loud. Yeah, for sure. That's that's another project like the opposite of um of fucking seven where they offered it to everyone and everyone said please uh, commit yourself to an insane asylum for even right. recommending the script to me you read about how hard everyone was fighting to get those roles into Wong Fu hot script like in a, a fairly homophobic age of Hollywood yeah for yeah. whatever reason at that moment every A-list actor was like I think this is going to be the big project right Right. They were batting people off like flies. Spielberg was briefly, he yes. was never going to direct it, but like at least like, you know, shepherding it. And but I think that helped. But the conception was yeah. always like three humongous leading men 
you won't believe it. Yeah. They're ba- they're drag queens, and this is the longest title a movie will ever have. Yes, and then people were <laughs> astonished that it flopped. Yeah, right. Although it was number one for two weeks in a row, well, but in the doldrums of September, yeah, it's made twenty four million dollars. Okay. in three weeks. Okay, number four uh, is a star driven hmm. drama, hmm. Uh, sort of inspirational drama. Most famous for a song that is associated dangerous with minds. It. It's Dangerous Minds. Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. damn. Griff. Of course. Quick Gangsta's Paradise. Hey, you guys were talking really about a, a high school high in a recent episode. Yeah. It is a movie. We were talking about different film. I was going to invoke some, but it was uh, we were talking about it off mic before the episode. Uh, that is a movie I defended vigorously when I was 15 years old, and I'm worried if I watched it today, I would commit myself to jail for having that opinion. <laughs> that movie, Speaking like some movies it. from your childhood you watch, and you're like, oh, this hasn't aged well. That movie, the poster hasn't aged well. <laughs> this is the thing. You guys were saying that, and I remember watching it and thinking, look, it knows it's dancing on a very thin line, yeah, yeah. but I thought it was... It was uh, skillfully satirizing (laughs) (laughs) a very, very sensitive subgenre that emerged in the mid-90s, and I wonder if I would feel that way today. Very droll, John. (laughs) Yes. And then this is the poster. (laughs) Yes. That poster is insane. He has a pick in his afro. I know, I know, and a bullet flying through the afro, and the title of the movie is shaved into his hair. And the fucking tagline is, there's a new teacher. Spelled teach with an A in the hood. Did Jim Abrahams direct that? Uh, No, Hart Bachner directed it. Did Jim Abrahams produce it or write it? Yeah, David Zucker wrote it. Okay, okay. I knew it had a Zucker affiliation. It locked him in for those MTV Movie Awards hosting jobs, though. With with it did. Was it Courtney Love or was who was it? Was Courtney Courtney Cox? Cox. Oh, Courtney Cox. Okay, that makes way more sense. I think John Lovett's probably fuck Courtney Cox. They (laughs) want Courtney Love. They want to take that. uh, They were trying to take that show on the road. Lovitz and Cox. Yes. Uh, number five at the box office is a serious, uh, more serious drama about teenage uh, violence okay. uh, in the inner city from one of our great auteurs. Are you being facetious? No, or? I'm not. It's <laughs> more it serious. Is. Yeah, it's like a crime drama. In 1995. From one of our great auteurs? Yes. Good movie. It's a good movie? Yep. Based on a book. What city is it set in? New York City. Heard of that? Yeah, I City? Have. I have heard The of Big it. Apple. What studio released this picture? This studio was, of course, Universal. It's a Universal 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Youths Are in Trouble movie? A kid is in trouble. One kid. But it's a cop movie. Well, I mean, kid, you know, the, the teens of Brooklyn, I guess, you know, but it's about a kid, a teenager. It's, about a teen- it's based on a book. It's about yeah. a teenager. You maybe have never seen this movie. It's not a boy's life. Nope. Huh. I've maybe never seen it, but I you love this movie? I really like this movie. It's about a kid. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it since I was in college. Tell me something about the director of this picture. A a, a totemic voice in American cinema. A totemic voice in American cinema? Yes. Hmm. Important to this day. It's often underappreciated. Often underappreciated. Won an Oscar in the last decade. His first Oscar. Is it Spike Lee? Spike Lee. In 95. What am I forgetting? Which movie this was? People kind of forget about this movie. Brooklyn? Nope. Great movie. It's not Clockers. Clockers. Oh, oh, clockers. You love Clockers. clockers. Yes. I've never Jeez. seen Clockers. Great movie. Yeah. Uh, based on Richard Price's novel starring Harvey Keitel and Mackay Pfeiffer. It is It is a bit of a forgotten spike. It's really Man, good. Man, I'm just, yeah. I, all um, I can think about is what the seven murderer would do to Jay Sherman. You know, like he'd really. <laughs> <laughs> so many <Yeah>. sins. 
<laughs> he wouldn't know where to begin with Jay Sherman. I think John Lovitz fucked Jay Sherman, by the way. Too. <laughs> uh, John Lovitz is going to sue us weirdly. We're like, ah, Spacey's going to be after us. Spacey doesn't notice us. Lovitz issues a takedown. Or something. I, just, look, I know what I just Jay Sherman would it. think of what the seven killer would do to him. Think I need to just say Clearly, would think I know you would think of the gluttony crime scene. It's stank, I'm sure. <laughs> I need to just get this out of my system. My father, like, avidly read the New York Post when I was growing up. Yeah. Was a fiend for page six. Right. And I remember him excitedly telling me one morning that my dad would wake me up with news. Yes. You won't believe what I just read in the paper. Right. And it was, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, uh, Janice Dickinson. Uh-huh. The supermodel. Uh-huh. Wrote a tell-all book. Yeah. Listed all the men she'd slept with. Sure. She's the one who famously started the Liam Neeson as a huge yes. penis. Uh, yes. An and said John Lovitz... Fell out of his pants. Jesus. Right. Said John Lovitz was the best sex she ever had. Absolutely outrageous. That's insane. And I just... I, I can never not think about it. Number six is uh, Diane Keaton's... Uh, <laughs> Diane Keaton's directorial effort, Unstrung Heroes. Oh, sure. Uh, you got the usual suspects, so it's the fall of Spacey. Wow. You got Jesus. hackers. Uh-huh. Hack the planet. <laughs> you got Babe. Uh-huh. And you have Braveheart. So two Best Picture nominees wow. hanging out okay. there. Yeah. Uh, at the bottom there. Number 11, of course, Ben and I's favorite film of 1995, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat! Hell yeah. This is like such middle school. This is like the start of middle school the, for me. That's this what is, I'm saying. And then Seven has a cool opening with the New Line logo. And then, you know, but uh, in Mortal Kombat, the New Line logo is accompanied by someone screaming, Mortal Kombat! So it's better. Sure. Yeah. New Line should have done that for the full year, 95, <laughs> to commemorate. Every movie they really, they should yeah. do for Lord of the Rings. They should. Mortal Kombat! What has better fatalities, Seven or Mortal Kombat? That's a great question. Great question. I think, I think Mortal Kombat's fatalities are really good. Yeah, they you see really them good. more so I, than Seven. Yeah. How do you think Scorpion got his name? Uh, how do I think Scorpion got his name? He probably, you know, went to AC, got a tattoo. That's what I yeah, figured. Right. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right. Call Take back us out. to an off mic bit. Mm -hmm. Hey, Doughboys, thank you for being here. Thank, thank you, for you so much us. for having we us. Thank you for here. doing this. What a what a treat! I wish we could we could have made this happen in person, but lovely that we were at least in the same spaces. Next in different time, spaces. Next we've time. gotten some foil every time. time. Yeah, something I think to aspire to. We've the four of us combined as this configuration have done three Doughboys apps, three blank check apps, and we've never gotten all four of us in the same room at the same time. That's right. It's true. Right. Is that correct? That's it's yet up. to happen. Yeah, it's fucked we'll up. It's it genuinely out. fucked up. Uh, but Doughboys is the best podcast uh, yep. in the world it of is. all time. It's a mirror. Game. We say it all the time. Uh, truly feel it. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's the high water mark. Absolutely. Uh, anyone who's not listening to it and listening to our show is uh, dumb. Has their priorities out of whack. <laughs> hey, Mitch. Yeah, it's Ben. I've been watching the hell out of Twisted Metal. Oh, oh there you go. Hell yeah. I know. The, fucking rocks, man. Mitch is contractually... Uh, Mitch uh, can't say anything yeah, about he that. I appreciate that, talk about that. That is that, very... I can appreciate that. That's really I very nice. much appreciate it. Yeah. That rules. Thank you, I'm Ben. I'm talking about the video game on PlayStation. <laughs> <laughs> You're just watching it? Ben's that, watching that Let's Play. I think, I think it's allowed if it comes out of nowhere, right? It, it, is, a, it is a Ben Ash show, I will say, having seen it. Yeah. 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 Hell yeah, Ben. Thank you. You rule. That rocks, Ben. I guess, but that's it. That's yeah. it. We're done. Yeah. Yay! Yay! Thank you, guys. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next week on Blank Check for the game. 
uh, with Brendan Hines. With Brendan Hines, yeah. our old friend Brendan Hines returning to the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's a fun app. That's a fun app. Yeah, we recorded uh, 15 years yep. ago. I don't even know who I am anymore. Nope. Um, <laughs> goodbye. I don't know why I'm taking us out. This show exactly. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Thank you to Marie Barty for our social media helping to produce the show. Wags and I are gonna go. Uh, we're, Wags and I are gonna go grab some lunch. But I think we're gonna get some. We're gonna eat some pasta sauce. <laughs> <laughs> And then kick each other in the stomach <laughs> and so you can last longer. Uh, thank you to J.J. Birch for our research. Thank you to Leigh Montgomery and the Grid American All for our theme song, A.J. McKeon and Alex Barron for our editing. Joe Bowen, Pat Reynolds for our artwork. It's been a while since I've done this. Uh, you can go to blankcheckpodcast.com for links to some real nerdy shit, including our Patreon, Blank Check Special Features, where we do franchise commentaries. We're doing the Pierce Brosnan Bond movies right now, uh, we'll also be doing a Fincher music video episode this month. I believe will be this month. Um, I want to say this month. I want to say this month. Uh, but I also think we we unlock uh, Patreon episodes after three years. So soon to be unlocked are commentaries on the Alien franchise, which coincidentally times out pretty perfectly to us having just done Alien 3 again. And... It is going to actually land next month well, in October. look at that. A very spooky Fincher music video Halloween for all of you. Tune in next week for The Game with Brandon Hines. And once again, I just want to say... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about all of this.